We not worry about no other niggas, we the mother niggas. You bust down a rollie, I bust down a brick, then I flooded nigga. I am not to be compared to you rappers, easy does it nigga. I am more easy, you trying your best to become me nigga. She like them bottles with bubbles in it. Buy her Loewe and other linen. Why would I wait when there's other women? Why would I hate we in love with women? Ooh! Buy her bundles, fly her out. Bring a friend, I try it out. Ain't no worries finding out. The details as I in doubt. Easily they plays along. Hoping that I play a song. Love to fuck the trap music. Dope money just came along. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 77 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Symbiotes collection inspired by Venom Let There Be Carnage. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and tote bags, so go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be talking exclusively about the 26th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Eternals. We'll spend some time giving our initial spoiler-free thoughts about the film by discussing what we liked and what we didn't like, and then we'll dive into a spoiler-filled breakdown and analysis of each member of the new superhero team, the film's biggest moments, and of course, we have to talk about those two post-credit scenes. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's show with a brief recap of how we got to this movie. So the Mm -hmm. Eternals were created by Jack Kirby and made their first appearance in the Eternals number one all the way back in July of 1976. So Jack Kirby, obviously a Marvel Comics legend, he was working originally at DC Comics for a period of time where he began the saga of the New Gods, which was a, a big sweeping epic story about mythological um, creatures and science fiction concepts and so um, he planned to have a definite um, definitive ending for that story but did not have a definitive ending that story left unconcluded and he made his way back to Marvel and he wanted to continue a similar saga and created the Eternals for Marvel um, there was a debate about what the name of the actual comic series was going to be originally it was going to be titled the Celestials but then it was changed to Return of the Gods and then they eventually mm-hmm. landed on the Eternals and went through several different iterations and Jack Kirby created these these brand new characters for the Marvel Universe, and ironically enough, the Eternals also was left unfinished and actually ended up being canceled as well, just like New Gods over at DC. So these big, epic, sweeping stories of these mythological beings um, somehow just never found their way to the finish line, unfortunately. But over the years, Marvel uh, launched a few other iterations of the Eternals. There was a one-off series that happened um, over the course of uh, the 80s and the, for a certain time period, I believe. I, I think they also launched a, a miniseries in, in, in early 2000s. So it's had several different iterations, but one of the big things about the Eternals as it relates to Marvel is that this is not a very well-known property. This is not mm-hmm. something that is that is universally known or familiar like an Iron Man or a Captain America, who at right. the time of the creation of the MCU, those characters also 
were not the most popular, but they certainly were more so in the public consciousness, um, Mm -hmm. whether it was through video games or animated series, much more so than the Eternals. The Eternals, I mean, you can't really get any deeper in terms of unknown characters in Marvel Comics than them. Um, (laughs) But ultimately... Marvel Studios decided to go ahead and announce officially that they were moving forward with an official Eternals movie all the way back in April of 2018. So we were still in the midst of Phase 3 of the MCU at that point in time. We had yet to reach Avengers Infinity War. We didn't even reach Avengers Endgame. So we were kind mm-hmm. of kind of clueless as to where the MCU was going to head at that particular time. But we knew that they were going to go and try to make this movie. Um, before we continue to move on, I just want to ask you quickly, based off of the original comic that was created back in 76 by Jack Kirby, and then maybe even mm-hmm. some of the further iterations that came over the years, why do you think Marvel Studios decided to pursue an Eternals movie? I think... There, so one, one of the things about the original Eternals run is, to, to, to put quite plainly, it, it was just okay in terms of the actual contents of the comic. Like, of course, it was beautiful. It was Jack Kirby. But what the comic was trying to say and what um, um, Jack Kirby was trying to say, again, it was just a very high concept to put inside of a comic book. Um, and, you know, here we are and uh, we always talk about it. Technology has progressed, right? The way we tell stories has even changed. And I think Marvel recognized that and recognized the importance of these characters, Eternals, who who are spread out throughout the rest of Marvel lore. Right. There's I mean, they, they show up in all kinds of stories. Um, and I just think they got excited when they realized the potential of what they could bring to the screen. So I think that's how we got Eternals. Yeah, it's a great point. It's it's one of those types of stories that they've never had the chance to tackle before just because we haven't had really the 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 space or the time to tell this type of sport story mm-hmm. just due to the fact that there were already so many characters on the board for the MCU. You know, you had to deal with Thor and Steve Rogers and Tony Stark mm-hmm. and all of these other characters that were introduced over the years and really I think ground the MCU in some some element of reality, even though it's obviously these are heightened realities and they're things that are happening that are, you know, just not feasible in the real world there's still some element of relatability to these characters where it's happening on the ground it's happening on earth but you talk about eternals as you mentioned high concept extremely science fiction fantasy elements that Mm -hmm. are all a part of this story and so i think it's something that definitely needed to happen in the later iteration uh of marvel studios and where they are with their with their phases it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have made sense to try to try the story out for your even your fourth or fifth movie it's like oh no what are you doing like (laughs) we haven't even you know like can we can we can we explore ant-man and his neighborhood for a quick second can we (laughs) Mm -hmm. can we check in with spider-man over in Queens? so i think that they made the right move by waiting as long as they have to 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 really tackle the story and again these are just not well-known characters so you have to Mm -hmm. you have to really uh build up this entire universe and introduce some other unfamiliar characters like they have done such as guardians of the galaxy um in the past and and get people to buy into that type of concept to begin with before you explore something that that's just this ambitious you know across the board and so after the movie was announced in april of 2018 um it it was it was soon found out thereafter that chloe zhao um was a part of the initial director search and was also actually in the running to direct black widow at the time when they were searching for directors Mm -hmm. for various phase four projects and funnily enough Chloe Zhao actually approached Marvel Studios herself about making a film with them because she's such a big fan of the MCU and the type of storytelling that they do. And then she worked with producer Nate Moore to come up with a pitch for this movie and it wowed Marvel Studios and they instantly hired her. It's important to note that obviously Chloe Zhao is the current reigning best director um, from the Academy Awards for her work of Nomadland, but she was hired for Eternals well before that happened. Mm -hmm. She actually filmed this movie well before um, 
Nomadland actually won Best Director at the Oscars, so it actually really worked out for for probably everybody involved. But even in those initial pitches uh, for this movie, as she was working with Nate Moore, who's also produced other well-known films in the MCU, such as Captain America Civil War and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier recently, um, and also Black Panther, they were planning for this project to include a swapping of genders, sexualities, and ethnicities of some of the characters from the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Chloe Zhao absolutely, you know, advocated for this approach as well. And this has become really sort of a big talking point about Eternals that it might very well have the most inclusive cast of any superhero film that we've seen thus far. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, black people a part of it. We have Asian people a part of it. We have uh, middle aged women that are a part mm-hmm. of it. We have people with various abilities, a deaf woman, you know, Lauren Ridloff is a part of this. Right. Um, geogra- geographic diversity is a part of the the cast as well. So we're they're really working hard to identify various communities and populations to to include in this cast. Um, do you think that that was like a really you know sort of a an appropriate way to put together this team in particular? Because again, these are characters that most people aren't familiar with. So yeah. I don't know if there's necessarily an archetype to who Icarus is. You know that <laughs> that he has to be a certain type of way. If, if that makes sense. Do you think that you know sort of taking this inclusionary approach to these characters is something that um, is meaningful specifically for this story and then just also, you know, for what superhero films mean across the board. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've always kind of talked about this in a certain way, but uh, I'm going to kind of reiterate it how Marvel has always been, or the characters, uh, the idea of them has always been humans stepping up to the plate of gods, right? Where DC is the opposite. It's always gods stepping down to kind of to the plate of humans. Um, and Eternals, I think, again, in its inception, kind of felt DC-ish. They were gods, right? Um, in, in trying to step down to that, 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 that realm of, of being a human. And I think everybody recognized that when Eternals was brought up. And they decided to hone on that. What are the human aspects of these people? How do these people actually feel? How do they think? You know, because um, they are based off humans, right? <laughs> like that's that's what they're supposed to be. So how can they explore that? And I think creating those differences in this format was the, I think, only way they could go through with it to make it still feel Marvel. Uh, you know, to 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 bring out those human elements. We're going to have an Irish character and a gay character and a deaf woman and a, you know, it's like they they they. If without that, there's no human touch, and there needs to be a human touch specifically in in our world today, right? Where where all these things are being represented, and they need to be represented. So it just made sense, I think. Yeah, I, I also think too that like the fact that we're talking about characters that, in essence, in their essence, they're immortal. They live for forever. Mm-hmm. You know, is what we assume coming into this. And and they're supposed to they're supposed to protect humanity. That's really their mission, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the story, throughout what we've seen in the comics. And I think it actually makes sense that they come from all corners of different communities as well. Like if these are supposed to be the the, the protectors of Earth across across you know a millennia, for example, mm-hmm. then why wouldn't you have a gay person be a part of the Eternals? Why wouldn't you right. have a person that is deaf? Why wouldn't you have a person that is you know middle age as compared to a young child like Sprite mm-hmm. in, the, in in the story, for example? So I think it actually made sense even from just a story perspective the fact that these are mythological characters and they're 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 mm-hmm. not 
not necessarily human. They they are you know otherworldly and and again in, in essence they are immortal. Um, and and also Chloe Zhao coming into this, you know she she's originally from from China, so this is a Chinese director coming in. So this is also behind the camera Marvel, you know, taking a a bit of a not not a risk per se, but just also taking a different direction and hiring more yeah. directors and filmmakers of color. Um, for example, and we've already talked about how Chloe Zhao is the current reigning best director from the Academy Awards. What is it about her in particular that makes her the right for director for Eternals? Mm. Because we know that her her films before this are very, very small scale, very, yeah. very tiny, intimate, independent style movies. Both of us have seen Nomadland, which was mm-hmm. probably made for, I don't know, six figures, maybe $100,000, $200,000. Like, it's almost a documentary if you really mm-hmm. think about it and see that film. It's not necessarily a, a traditional movie in that sense. How is it that she's coming into the MCU at this point to direct a massive 200 million dollar movie when she's come from such a small indie independent background um you know and 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 coming into the story that's telling telling the story of characters that have existed on earth for seven thousand years yeah i think because it's her strength as a a small filmmaker that puts her i think at the helm of of this film man she's able to tell stories and build up characters that I think the normal person or somebody just wouldn't think of, right? Or the normal person wouldn't think of. When you watch a Chloe Zhao film, you're able to connect um, with her characters. Again, specifically Nomadland, we were like, okay, what's going on here? Who are these people? And eventually by the end, you're like, dang, I get I get it all. You know, like I understand what's happening. That, again, accompanied with the way she directs um, in, again, these small pockets, but making them beautiful. And that's Eternals, though, too, right? It's but that's a lot of characters, but they all have their small pockets, and they're and each small pocket has to be beautiful. That's Chloe Zhao. That's what she does. And I think again, I think they recognize that and and decided to put her at the forefront of the film. Yeah, Marvel Studios also very much leans into the idea of pulling filmmakers from very much smaller backgrounds, more collaborative backgrounds like television and independent film, mm-hmm. and then giving them these massive projects to work on. Uh, the Russos famously came from community and being yeah. you know, frequent frequent writers and directors of that series which is very much about an ensemble cast and the dynamics between characters um, even a Taika Waititi coming from his small independent films like what we do in the shadows and then coming mm-hmm. in to direct Thor Ragnarok because of the offbeat irreverent types of comedy that he that he injects in his stories and so they very much like to pick people from from you know smaller backgrounds in terms of the films that they make and they're always unexpected choices you you would expect yeah. that one day like they're going to go for like the big name one day they like, never do oh what, what what if what if steven spielberg i don't know you know made a marvel movie right or <laughs> right. Or, or what if uh jj abrams decided to make a marvel movie and they mm-hmm. and, and they just never go that route they always find those people that we probably haven't heard of most of us mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they turn into overnight superstars it, it's a little bit different with chloe because yeah, she won the academy award for best director <laughs> which it just it, you know just due to the circumstances of time this movie was supposed to come out a year ago um we, we just didn't have that information at this point so now she's definitely more well known still yeah. not necessarily you know the biggest director in the world per se but i think amongst like the film community and people that pay a little bit of attention to, to films that come out and obviously marvel and what they're doing uh, more people know her name now than when they did a year ago so it's always interesting to see how that that stuff works out and this is of course the first time we've ever had somebody who's been awarded the best director um acknowledgement from the academy awards come in and direct a marvel studios movie so this is definitely a first time um effort for them too and so mm-hmm. we finally got official confirmation about this movie like official official at 2019's san diego comic-con um where we saw kevin feige the president of marvel come out and officially 
rollout phase four and all of the projects that were going to come out over the next few years. And of course, Eternals was a part of that. And as I mentioned, this movie was initially supposed to come out a year ago, November 6, 2020. But of course, due to COVID-19, it was delayed an entire year. And we actually got it um, just this past weekend, of course. And so this was going to be one of the first things that we saw out of phase four. It was actually going to come right after Black Widow, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. which was also supposed to come out in 2020. So we would have gotten this earlier, even before seeing things like Loki or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Wanda vision so we would have dove head first into phase four in a very big way mm-hmm. um so i think it's interesting now that we have all of that extra context about these other things that i think will come up in this conversation as we continue to move on but that's the brief background that we have about this film it's not really that much again because these are not the most well-known <laughs> characters so there's right. not like a long lineage of you know nine movies that have come before that's really it about eternals it, it it was created in the comics it's had a little bit of a lifespan across across you know the past 40 something years in the comic books um but it's not the most well-known property so i think with all of that said man let's go ahead and get into it and officially review marvel studios eternals five years ago thanos erased half of the population of the universe but the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger the sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago. to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, You protect it. You can't protect. What's this even made of? Vibranium? Fall Collection. Ikea. 
Now, as I mentioned, this film is directed by Chloe Zhao, and it's written by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Cass Furpo, and it's starring on an ensemble cast of Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Leah McHugh, Brian Tyree Henry, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Keoghan, Don Lee, Harish Patel, Kit Harrington, Salma Hayek, and Angelina Jolie. So... We officially got these casting announcements about a couple of years ago, and we started to see the makeup of this cast come together, and we were instantly noticing how diverse it was going to be, and all the different, you know, A-list actors, like the really well-known actors like Selma Hayek and Angelina Jolie that they were pulling in, but also some of the more low-key actors that are starting to really come up and, and make a name for themselves, like Brian Tyree Henry, who we know is coming from uh, Atlanta and various other projects. We saw Lauren Ridloff last year in Sound of Metal, so mm-hmm. definitely pulling in a diverse mix uh, of this cast here so getting into this film before we do our official non-spoiler thoughts because we're going to do non-spoiler thoughts just in case you haven't seen this movie and then we're going to do the the full deep dive here in a second but before we do that one of the interesting things about this film that it's been out a few weeks and critics have seen it of course and have started to roll out their initial reviews um this film has made history in more ways than one Mm -hmm. um currently eternals is the worst review marvel studios movie ever and it's currently sitting at a 48% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, the first ever Marvel Studios movie to be considered rotten. Um, initially, the lowest review movie from the MCU was Thor: The Dark World, and I was believed that was I believe that was sitting at a 66%, um, which is still a fresh score. Anything above mm-hmm. a 60% is a fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, it must be said, and I think we've said this before on the show, Rotten Tomatoes is not the Bible. It's not the end-all, be-all for right. what people think about a movie. It's really just a tool. It's just a tool for people mm-hmm. to use as a resource to see what critics are saying, what audiences are saying, and just see where a movie falls. And in essence, the score just means that 48% of critics liked the movie, whereas the other, what is it, 52% of the critics mm-hmm. didn't really care for it, or they you know, probably wanted more, whatever the case may be. That being said... The question has to be asked, what happened? Why all of a sudden now is this the movie that just didn't work for the majority of critics? Because Mm -hmm. one of the things we've always talked about with Marvel and the MCU is that they've had essentially a flawless track record. Not in terms of the films necessarily always being great, but all of their films have been good enough to always have positive feedback, word of mouth, and critic scores. And they've all made substantial amounts of money, as we know. And they've never had a rotten movie. And we've seen other franchises struggle with this, of course, with having some more negative word of mouth before the movie comes out. And then, you know, people see it and then they make up their own minds. What is it about this movie that's gotten at this score? It also has a B cinema score, which is from audiences, which is also the lowest cinema score from audiences for any MCU movie. Mm-hmm. What is it about this movie in particular that has caused this? And what do you think happened here? Man, there can be so many things, but I know initially I was just confused, like straight out, like what is happening? It was like critic, specifically after we watched the movie, right? I was just like, I had to go read some stuff. I was like, what are they talking about? Um, And some of the stuff that a lot of these critics are talking about don't make sense to me. Maybe part of it may be a disagreement, right? The way I feel about the film, but there's another part of it that feels almost deliberate, right? Like almost like. Not that they they were out to get the film, but that there was some level of fed upness <laughs> that that happened even before the f- the film um, kind of came out. One of the things I think, I mean, it, it has to be talked about is just not MCU fatigue specifically, but ensemble fatigue. I think is a mm. thing. Mm-hmm. 
um, because we have gotten these these big movies with, with ensembles. Even even Black Widow had a small ensemble. You know what I mean? Like there's there's constantly multiple characters on screen all the time, and it's 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 what it's what the MCU um, um, calculation how that MCU calculation fits um, into the grand scheme of the way we watch movies and how often uh, that we do watch MCU movies. Because who owns Hollywood right now? It's definitely the MCU. Um, we've, we've uh, uh, Anthony Mackie has talked about this recently, right? Where he says, people don't go to the movies just to see characters anymore or like an actor. No one just goes to see, I don't know, no one goes to see an Anthony Mackie movie. They go to see the Winter Soldier or Captain America movie. Now that 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 is like a real thing that is happening, um, and I think maybe we're starting to be cognitive of that. Maybe critics are starting to think about that in the middle of the movie. Like, man, I think I, they're just tired of seeing ensembles and it, movies not being centered around I don't know certain people or certain things or what 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 it really means for them. But also, I think they're uh, again it's 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 just the MCU. Um, formula and it, it mm-hmm. does as it, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this later in, in, in our review but this this movie does contain it veers away from the formula and then it still falls into it and I think that really pissed off a lot of critics because when they heard Chloe Zhao's name I think they expected something different all the way and I think because it wasn't all the way that that just it, it turned their what could have been an eight for them into a four or you know what I mean or that I think that's literally what happened I think it just literally turned critics off because after seeing Nomadland, they got their their hopes up so high, they just got pushed down. So I, that's my initial thoughts of kind of what happened. Um, I really do think it was expectations after hearing what Closure I was going to do, after seeing Eternals as a whole new property with these whole new names of of what these heroes can do and who they are. And then they just kind of got let down by that, for, that formula. I think you make a, a really great point there, specifically with the Chloe Zhao piece of it, because when you have somebody coming in that's just one best director, your expectations are naturally going to be high, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she must have you know, created one of the best films that we saw of last year. So here she is coming into this big project, this Marvel Cinematic Universe, and she's going to shake stuff up. She's going to yeah. change the formula. She's going to you know, sort of do things in a different way and approach it in a different way. And I think we saw that at several points throughout the film, but it doesn't necessarily reflect the entire experience. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely one of the big things that I think you know you probably saw and I definitely saw a lot from these initial reviews is that this is unlike any other Marvel film that's come before it. Right. And I don't agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I like I think I think that this film's like a MCU movie. Like there's definitely mm-hmm. a different approach and there's stuff that we haven't gotten before and it's obviously tackling a story that we haven't been familiarized with as MCU fangoers and audience members and viewers, but a lot of the typical things that you get out of an MCU movie are absolutely here, and so mm-hmm. you may be right that 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 upset some some of the critics in their initial feedback. I also think a big thing about this too is just the nature of the story. Like we are talking mm-hmm. about mythological, high concept science fiction characters here, yeah. and we're going to continue to de- deconstruct this conversation and have this conversation as we as we move throughout the film because I think it's going to come up several times, but. One of the big things for me in terms of watching this movie is that it felt more akin to what we've seen out of a DC movie, specifically Zack Snyder's DC movies. Mm-hmm. When you're taking a character like Superman and Man of Steel or you know Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, and this is a godlike character. But what Zack Snyder's doing in his movie is trying to deconstruct what that means and, and yeah. how he relates to human beings and mankind and what his place is on Earth. Mm-hmm. And that's a very that's a very high concept. And ultimately what we saw at the end of Man of Steel or even Batman versus Superman is we get the ending of a movie that isn't exactly hopeful 
Like, mm. you don't necessarily feel happy walking away out of those movies. You actually <laughs> yeah. kind of feel, it feels a little tragic, right? And I think, um, not getting into the spe- specifics of it yet, but I think that that was a similar thing that happened here in Eternals. Like, the ending isn't the most hopeful thing ever. Like, you kind of mm-hmm. walk away like, oh, this is this is kind of scary. Things are changing mm-hmm. now, right? And so... Yeah. That's not typical to what we see out of the MCU. It's only really happened once before with Infinity War where you get this really fucked up ending. But we all knew that it was going to pay off a year later with Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't exactly know where the Eternals is going. So I think that that, that that idea of just like deconstructing superheroes and what they mean and questioning their purpose, you know, in, in space and in, on, on Earth... Um, I don't know if everybody's really into that at this point yeah. because these are gods, and this is kind of this is kind of Marvel's take on the Justice League, really. If we're mm-hmm. if we're if we're thinking about it, which is not mm-hmm. a negative thing or a bad thing to say, I think it's actually really cool here. But I I just don't know if people who are going to these MCU movies are are really wanting that out of their storytelling. Yeah. And um, not saying that people are grading on a curve or anything, but I think across the years, like. As you mentioned, this Marvel formula has just become so ingrained into what we watch out of their out of their new films and TV series that anything that slightly shakes the table just a little bit, but doesn't quite stick the landing in all mm-hmm. of, in all of those elements, like it, it, that that's where you get the divisiveness that I that yeah. I think we're seeing here. Um, and I and I also don't think the last thing I'll say before we do actually talk about the movie here, I don't think that it's as negative as the media is trying to make it out to be like yeah. yes people people aren't necessarily saying that this is that this is their favorite mcu movie but i don't really see that many folks saying like oh i hate this movie mm-hmm. it's trash it's terrible i'm not saying that it's just more it's just more of the in-between that 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 that's where people are falling and i think even myself i'm falling in that direction too so when you have the majority of people kind of falling in the in-between that's going to create some div- divisiveness across the board so um that's kind of probably what we're seeing here but even mm-hmm. with all of that said the movie's performed um pretty well here it just had a 71 million dollar domestic opening weekend which is the fourth best of the pandemic era which is behind other Marvel films, surprise, surprise, is behind Venom, Black Widow, and Shang-Chi. Mm. Um, two out of those three are MCU movies. Venom is obviously from Sony, but these are all superhero movies that are having the best domestic openings. Just, you know, again, reinforcing the idea of who's the king of the box office at this point. And it also had a $161.7 um, global opening, which is the second best of the pandemic era, only behind F9, The Fast Saga, which came out earlier this year. So lots of people still went to go see this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. It definitely came in a little bit under Black Widow and Shang-Chi. But I even think, again, Black Widow is now a known character, very, very much a popular character in Marvel. And Shang-Chi, I think, just had extremely positive word of mouth that helped it out a Mm -hmm. lot, you know, because it was truly one of their better efforts. So um, still did well here. Still, you know, brought in a ton of money. It'll be interesting to see how it continues to perform. But... With all of that out the way, man, let's go ahead and talk about it. Um, our official non-spoiler thoughts about this movie, and then we'll do spoilers um, quickly here. Uh, where, what did you think about Eternals, man? Did the movie work for you? What are some of the things that you liked, didn't like? And uh, yeah, we'll hold off the spoilers until until later on, but um, just sort of the general initial thoughts about this movie. Yeah, man, I got to preface it again by saying I did know about Eternals. Of course, I'm a nerd, so I'm here uh, before the movie came out, but I, I read the Nell Gaiman um, one of the greatest to do a run from 2007. It actually is a really short read. There's a lot of differences in his run versus what we got in the movie and a lot of similarities that I'll talk about later too. Uh, but the, again, the source material is just okay. Like Eternals is just not, again, in this comic book inception, it's just not something that knocks your socks off. The concepts are amazing, 
But when you're actually reading through the pages, you're like, okay, this is cool. It's it's good, but not great. And I think, uh, again, that's one of the reasons why Eternals just had never been too popular, right? Just the way we see a lot of the other things. Um, so again, there are things in this movie that are better than the source material. And for that alone, it, it, it gets some points for me. I was like, yes, I like that. Yes, I like that too. Good job. Um, and I like it. I, it's not great, but it still works for me in a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I think both bittersweet, there's a lot of heavy lift, uh, lifting done in this film. Eternals has a lot of heavy exposition and high, <laughs> high conceptual existential questions, right? And it's really hard thing to accomplish even in a, what, two hour and 38 minute time, yeah. uh, runtime. Um, I really wish they went the Dune route and decided to do a part one and part two, but even that's difficult because it's a new group of heroes, right? Dune is like, niggas know about Dune. Like, you don't have to, you know, bring Dune to the table. They got to bring Eternals to the table. So I also kind of understand that you may, part one and part two may not be an option. But again, in my mind, you're the MCU, you can do what you want. They should do part one and part two. Um, and again, this is, like you said it before, this is still an MCU movie, like at its core. But it's still the most non-MCU in terms of moments that we get, I think. And there are several times in the film I was comfortable not thinking about the MCU, if that makes sense. And then the film was like, uh, nah, this is definitely an MCU movie. It's like Chloe Zhao was directing and there was somebody in the back like, you need to throw this in right now. And then she was like, uh, I guess I got to throw this in. And then it happens, you know, and, and that's kind of what the film felt. It like kept happening. I was like, dang it. Um, but the cast is amazing. I really do think it's beautiful. Uh, we talked about the way Airshim looks on freaking this IMAX screen. It's I kind of want to see it again just to see that nigga. To be honest, that shit was crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, and and there's agendas being pushed. I think which is important. The story is being moved. It's not like Black Widow. We're at the end. We're like, well, I guess that's that. You know what I mean? It's like Eternals is very clear that there's more. There's more things to come. There's more things happening. These characters are moving on. Um, and, and yeah, I, I'll say a lot more, I think about, um, how I feel in, in, in our deep dive with spoilers, but I liked it. I didn't love it, but I still enjoyed myself. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. It was cool. Agree, man. I, I, I walked out of this movie like, damn, what's all the ruckus about? Like, this is a perfectly <laughs> fine movie. Like, it's yeah. it's cool. You know, it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it's also certainly not the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be honest and not digging at it, but I'll watch this over, Thor The Dark World, nine times out of ten. I watch this over Black Widow a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. And I think that the thing about the MCU, the, the place that we're at now, it's very much like James Bond to me in the sense that there's a lot of bad James Bond movies, and we've certainly talked about that on this show, especially with No Time to Die just coming out. But every James Bond movie that you see manages to still introduce something that's important to the lore and the mythology of the James Bond franchise. Even if the movie's terrible, you might get a very recognizable and memorable villain. Even if the movie sucks, you might get the coolest gadget you've ever seen. Even if the third act completely falls apart... Damn, it might have had a crazy opening title sequence and a dope song, right? Like, you're always going to get something. And I think that's the same thing with the MCU. Some of the movies aren't going to be the greatest that you see, of course, but they manage to always introduce something new that's going to paint and influence the future of where the, the MCU is going to go. And overall, for me, this film does fall into the it's pretty good territory. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked it. It absolutely has its problems. But one of the things that I do appreciate is that Chloe Zhao coming into this movie 
is taking these big, epic, cosmic level swings with this film. And she's talked about her biggest influence for this film that really you know, started this whole conversation was Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, which is a very much an experimental, naturalistic movie that came out a while ago. And mm. I've seen this movie a couple of times, and it's certainly not my favorite by any means because it's not really about people. It's not really about, about humans. A lot of the time, it's kind of about humans and their place in society and the world and how it relates to the world. Mm -hmm. And the writers also talked about 2001 a space odyssey being an influence from stanley kubrick which is another movie that's not really about people it's about yeah. these bigger ideas it's about humanity and the earth and existence like mm -hmm. you mentioned these these really existential big questions and this movie's taking that approach and i don't think that this is necessarily the most ambitious mcu movie but i do think that it might be the most ambitious story that the mcu has ever told because mm -hmm. there's a level of ambition obviously with avengers endgame with the amount of characters that you have with mm -hmm. the fact that you have to stick the landing and, and conclude this 23 arc story, this 23 movie story. But this specific isolated story that they're telling here is taking place over the span of 7,000 years. It's, yeah. it's as expansive as you can get about these mm -hmm. immortal characters and Chloe Zhao being the, the, the director that very much leans into naturalistic elements and she's incorporating this very atmospheric cinematography in her story, obviously bringing that over from her prior films like Nomadland or The Rider. It works for this type of story because we're looking at characters and their place within the universe and specifically on Earth. And I like the fact that they're using these real locations. You're seeing sunrises and sunsets and you're seeing these these earth tone backdrops and they're using mm. beaches and, and grassy vistas and all of these different things to really help bring this, this story to life. And Earth almost becomes another character in this movie, which we'll talk about the specifics with that and how that relates to the story. And I think the costume design overall is really beautiful, just the different costumes that 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 the Eternals wore and the different colors. And then also the fact that they have to make and create costumes from several different eras. Like mm -hmm. you have to go back to 5000 BC and create costumes for that time period. And then you have to go to 1500 AD and create costumes costumes for that and then present day in 1945 like we're time hopping a lot here so yeah there's just a, a an epic nature to it um and ultimately for me this ended up being a story about a family that has to find their way to come back together and how mm -hmm. they how they're going to work together and how they disagree and agree on certain things and I, I found that actually really moving because we've seen the avengers and that ensemble team but that's a that's a team of people who didn't know each other who have to come together and they don't want to come together and work together but they have to figure mm -hmm. out a way to make it work and then they become a family the eternal started out as a family and then right. they get split apart right and so they have to come back together and figure that out the big things that just don't work for me one the villains in this movie, quote unquote, the mm -hmm. deviants, which we we knew coming into this movie was supposed to be a big thing. Um, it's not really about them, if we're being yeah, honest. Like it's kind exactly. of about them, but it's not really. And so mm -hmm. the deviants here, which kind of frustrated me because the deviants in the comics, if I'm not mistaken, are actually like not human, of course, but they actually have personalities and they're actually they have mm -hmm. a point of view. Yeah. Whereas like the deviants in this film, if you've seen the trailers, they're just like wild animals they're they're, mm -hmm. they're they're space dogs for lack of a better term and, and I, I didn't really i didn't really connect with that and i think that the biggest problem that exists with the eternals unfortunately is that it probably bit off more than it could chew you know you talked about potentially splitting this into a part one and part two um that would have been an option or less characters you know this is the introduction mm -hmm. of 10 new characters into the mcu that we've never heard of before that we have no familiarity with 
it's a lot on top of the fact that you're introducing a celestial like Arisham, on top of the fact that there are other characters like Dane Whitman played by Kit Harington, and you're telling this story about deviants versus Eternals and Celestials Mm -hmm. and these existential questions. It's just a lot. Even though it's long as hell, two hours and 38 minutes, that's just still not enough time because there's so much story here. So I think that they just probably bit off more they can chew. And for me, what happened by the end of it is that I mostly enjoyed it. I definitely had some problems along the way, but my biggest problem was that I didn't have this incredible connection to these characters. There was Mm -hmm. an emotional detachment that that happened across the course of the film if something happened to somebody in the movie i didn't really care because i don't have that much of a connection built up with them and i think it takes a while to actually become involved in the story i've seen a lot of people say like yeah the first act you know was a little bit slow it kind of took a while for it to get going i don't necessarily agree with that but i can see why people feel that way Mm -hmm. because it does take a while to become actively involved with it and to figure out what exactly this is about so um, this is something that just was probably too ambitious for the yeah. guidelines and the parameters that they set up for this movie um, and the story that they were trying to tell. And the last quick thing that I'll say is that reportedly Chloe Zhao, as a part of this movie, and this is going back to what you mentioned earlier about the push and pull that might have existed between her and Marvel, there were reports that came out about the creative process with this movie and the fact that initially when Chloe Zhao was hired, she was not the best director from the Academy Awards. She was Chloe mm-hmm. Zhao as a director, a respected filmmaker, but it was more so Marvel working with her to really tell the story the way that they wanted to tell it. But right. at the minute that she won Best Director, we have to remember that the majority of post-production took place after that. Right. Mm-hmm. All of the editing and the music choices and the and the, the 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 color grading, all those creative elements that have to happen after they film a movie take place in the post production process, which right. happened after she won Best Director and apparently she got a lot more creative control in that process as opposed to the you know, in the mm-hmm. beginning when they film things and they also reshoot things all the time in Marvel that's built into their process. So I'm just wondering and imagining if there were, you know, just some 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 tension, um, a little bit of tension that might have built up between those two parties. Not necessarily, you know, bad feelings, but I think I think she mm-hmm. was allowed the space to fight for more of what she wanted to appear in this movie. But that's never going to be 100 percent falling into her territory. Like there, there has to be some give and take there because Marvel, they're going to put in some stuff that they want to put in to continue to move this universe forward. So mm-hmm. I think there's some conflicting ideas about how to tell the story that might have come out. So. Um, lot set there. We're going to get more into it. Of course, if you've not seen this movie, this is officially your spoiler warning for Eternals. We are about to spoil the hell out of this movie. We're going to talk about <laughs> all the characters, all the big moments and everything that happened, especially the post credit scenes. When we get to the end of the conversation, this is your official spoiler warning. Duck out if you haven't seen it. So before we get into the specific character breakdowns, um, again, yeah. we got 10 new people here, 10 new characters to introduce. We actually have a question one of our listeners about these characters that I want to ask before we get into the specifics. Um, and the question comes from at Tony underscore Tony underscore Tony. And he asks us whose story slash which eternal did you find the most interesting in the movie? Did this mm. match your expectations going into the movie with whatever knowledge you had from the comics? Um, I, well, I'll quickly just say that me, I had no knowledge coming from the comics. I did, mm-hmm. Eternals is not my bag at all. I, I will be the first to admit that. I didn't right. read any comics. You know, I, I just knew that they were created by Jack Kirby. Everything that we basically said and that they had several other war- runs. So me coming into this is I was I was, you know, sort of choosing to come into this as green as possible with the with the with the film. And so I guess based off of my expectations, based off of the casting alone, I was really excited about Brian Tyree Henry, just based off mm-hmm. the fact that 
this man is coming from Atlanta, which, you know, I know both of us have been watching since it aired. And that's really that was my first introduction to Brian Tyree Henry as an actor. And then he's done all these other subsequent films since then. And I've just been a big fan of his. I think he's an incredible actor, just extremely talented. So coming into this movie, I was expecting him to really be my favorite or at least be one of my favorites. And that pretty much stayed true. Like he still ended up being one of the Eternals I enjoyed the most. Even though he didn't get as much screen time as I would have liked, I would have mm-hmm. liked to see more of him, and I would have liked to see a little bit more of the family dynamic that we had. I do think that what we had was 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 nice, a nice beginning for his character, because he does survive. You know, at the end of this movie, he comes out on the other side alive, which some people definitely denied. Um, I'm hoping we get to see more from Brian Tyree Henry as Fasto. So he he's one in particular um, that I had sort of high expectations coming into this, and they mostly met those expectations. Man, I had high expectations for everyone, to be honest, because the cast is so fire to me. But I am right there with you, bro. I just, I was, Fastos, Makari, and um, uh, uh, Kingo. Those are the three that I already had expectations for. And then I also ended up being my favorites <laughs> at the end. I was, it was like both before and after. I was like, yep, good job, everybody. Um, and part of the reason, uh, pros Fastos, I have a whole soapbox. I'm going to go on later for Fastos. I mean, it's a soapbox, let me tell you. But there's also a, uh, you know, there was, you just, you said it all about Brian Tyree Henry, man. It was just good to see him here in such a big movie after he's been doing all these other roles, Godzilla and, you know, Joker randomly, you know, all mm-hmm. this, all this other kind of crazy stuff. It was really cool to see him here. Um, Macari in the comic run 2007, I was talking about, um they 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 changed this character uh it it was actually a guy uh in the comics and of course he wasn't deaf so i was like and i love speedsters so i was just excited to see how they changed that um i was really happy with that and then i honestly think just kingo supremacy i think he stole the show in a lot of different ways in this entire movie um so and i'm just kumail Nanjani fan like i've been watching him in Almost everything he's been in, I feel like. Uh, so that's another reason, man. So I, I, I would just put those as like a top three um, as to, to to my favorites. Certainly. And a lot of what I've been hearing is that, you know, those three and, and a few others have been some some big fan favorites coming out of this. So um, let's go ahead and break down all of these characters individually. Let's talk about each Eternal one by one. So Selma Hayek is in this movie as Ajak. And Ajak is known as the wise and spiritual leader of the Eternals. And she also has the ability to heal um, and she she acts as the bridge between the Eternals and the Celestials. So she's mm-hmm. the one that communicates frequently with Arsham, who is the prime Celestial for Earth in this film. And so yeah. Selma Hayek, obviously a, a screen legend at this point in Hollywood, mm-hmm. both in front of and behind the camera, um, coming into this movie, acting as a spiritual leader of this team. We see that at the beginning of this movie, um, 5000 BC is when these 10 superpowered Eternals come to Earth um, and they're sent by Arsham after he creates them and they're they're basically there to exterminate exterminate the deviants and we get that uh that opening that 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 text that comes in at the beginning of the movie that lays out all of the history which has never really happened in a marvel movie and so i think that that Mm -hmm. told us at the beginning like this is going to be different and it literally starts with the words in the beginning so it becomes almost religious in that sense right and so um we get that first communication between ajak and arsham where she's talking about her affection for the people of Earth. And Arsham has to remind her, don't get too attached here. You're here mm-hmm. to carry out a plan. You're the leader. You need to see this through. You are here for one specific reason. 
And we find out, you know, as the story progresses, Ajak ends up dead. She ends up getting killed. That happens in the first act of this movie after Cersei and Sprite and Icarus go to look for her at her home and they find her dead. And so mm-hmm. in the beginning of the story, it almost feels a little bit like a murder mystery, like who killed her? We just kind of assume that the Deviants did it. And right. uh, we, we ultimately find out later in the movie that that's not true. There is a twist that happens. Obviously, Icarus is the one responsible. But we got rid of her character pretty early in the story, even though mm-hmm. we got to see more of her through the flashbacks. But um, just with that said, man, what did you think about Selma Hayek and what she brought to this role in, in her character as Ajax? Yeah, man, I always love Selma Hayek because her personality always comes always comes through her acting. Um, that that's not true for everybody, but I actually love that about her. Um, of course, we run into every now and then where you're like, "All right, Selma Hayek and Hitman's bodyguard, what's going on here?" Um, but I, other than that, I love her, man. I thought she did a good job. Um, the the Eternal uh, that is above all the other Eternals at the time is usually called the Prime Eternal. Um, it's actually like kind of a character that was missing from this. His name is Zerus. He's like confused with Zeus, right? Um, but he he's supposed to be able to activate the Unimind. And so I, th- I think it's interesting how they kind of put move that power into a lot of Ajax um, that we see from the comics. They move a lot of Zerus into Ajax. And Ajax has always been the Eternal that was being able to talk to the Celestials. That is like what Ajax was built to do as an Eternal, to be able to communicate um, with the Celestials. And man, I thought just the concept that this eternal had like helped destroy thousands of planets or you know what i mean like to bring i was like this i don't think y'all understand how strong ajack is just because like just off that sentence alone she was like oh yeah i've helped destroy or you know birth a lot of celestials and you're just like damn you killed a lot of people um so she was definitely you know wielding some some crazy killer cosmic power there uh but i i like this because it's it, it gave us a mother figure right um kind of within this when you already said it this is a family right but it's like damn who's the mama bear right or in in this sense i I think of it who's the big sister and and ajak was the big sister she was the one um and and i was just really happy to have her in the movie um even though i wish we got to see more of her i think we will see more of her because there's some things i know (laughs) uh but it, it was just really cool not gonna lie, I'm pissed that they killed her in this movie. I was yeah. really upset at that. Like when we saw that she was dead, I'm like, she's not dead, dead. And then it was like, nah, <laughs> nah she's dead, she dead. Did. And I'm like, wait a second now. Like as soon as we get Selma Hayek into the MCU, y'all take her away from me. Like why I gotta, <laughs> why I gotta kill the Latina woman like instantly in the beginning? I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't really like that. I was kind of, I was kind of um, mm-hmm. not feeling that decision there. I, I understood that you know basically though with the story that they were trying to tell that there was a there was a direction that they were going. Again, this movie is not really about the deviants. We we find out that Icarus is the one that kills her, and of course we'll talk at length about Icarus and his decision here, but um. It, it was it was interesting to see also, in addition to her being this motherly figure, obviously sort of working directly with Arisham and and finding out the, the 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 true nature of the plot there with that character, which you know we'll we'll talk a lot about Arisham and his connection with Cersei here in a second. Mm-hmm. But Ajax also was the one who made the decision in the movie to allow the Eternals to just go and live their own lives and to separate because by the time we get to the fifteen hundreds. Um, and they're in uh, Tenochtitlan, and they eliminate all the deviants. There's that incident that happens with Thena, where the weight of her memories are fracturing her mind. She has the Mad Weary um, that that that's affecting her, and she Ajax just makes a decision like, "Go live your own lives. Like we've done mm-hmm. what we came here to do. Just go live your own life. 
Go find people that you can connect with. Go find a community that you can be a part of. And when it's time for us to go home, we'll go home. And I thought that that was a really, um, really interesting choice for her to make as the prime eternal in this specific role here. Again, allowing them to do this. And we see that they all did eventually go and split up. But I thought, you know, Selma Hayek, I thought she did a, a tremendous job with the time that she did have on camera specifically. And yeah. We also got to see that uh, she does develop this connection to humans, and that 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 theme comes up a lot. You know, are 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 the humans worth saving in this story? Is humanity worth saving here, um, based on the plot that we find out and and what the what the Eternals are actually here to do? Which leads us to to Cersei, which is played by Gemma Chan. So Cersei um, is the really the 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 focal point of the story it's really told from mostly her perspective Mm -hmm. um it switches occasionally but it's mostly told from her perspective i think she ends up having the most green time she's really the main character of the story right and her specific ability is that she has the ability to manipulate non-sentient matter but after they find out that ajak has been killed the device that's used in order to communicate with Arashim actually transfers over to Cersei in the story. And so we find out that Ajak has chosen Cersei to be her successor as the Prime Eternal, as the person that could communicate specifically with Arashim. So she becomes extremely important to the plot. But before you know, we get to that stuff, we find her living um, in present-day London along with Sprite, another Eternal. And mm-hmm. she's also um, with Dane Whitman, who's played by Kit Harrington, which we'll get to in a second. She's working at the Natural History Museum. It seems like she's a teacher. Um, but they're attacked by a deviant in the middle of London streets. Um, and... This is really this is really curious to them because the eternal, not, excuse me, not, not the eternal, but the deviant is able to heal himself. So they're kind of wondering like what's going on here, and that's what that what that's what prompts them to to go visit Ajax, and they find her dead. But ultimately, what happens with Cersei in the story is that she does have that moment where she communicates with Arashim, and so you said earlier that there's a big you know there's there's big exposition dumps that happen in this movie, and we got one that was pretty huge and pretty seismic that happened at the middle of this movie and she's finally able to communicate with Arsham the judge the the prime celestial here Mm -hmm. and ultimately what we find out about the Eternals is that they have existed for millions and millions of years and they have destroyed probably thousands and thousands of other planets before Earth and then their memories are wiped and erased and Mm -hmm. it's basically wish uh, wash rinse and repeat over and over again and they can't remember any of their prior memories. So they think that, you know, their time on Earth, these 7,000 years, they think that this is the, the summation of their lives, but it's mm-hmm. not really. Turns out that they're basically these, you know, sort of highly, highly human, human-like androids. They're kind of robots, in, in mm-hmm. essence. They, they're not really human. Um, and it's also found out that their home, quote-unquote, Olympia, doesn't exist. They think that this is their home where they'll go after they finish their mission, but it doesn't actually exist. Right. Um, and the reason that they've been created is because Arsham initially created the Deviants to carry out the same person per- purpose. Excuse me. The Deviants were supposed to visit these planets and basically take over the predators and allow for the natural evolutionary process to take place. Mm -hmm. However, the deviants ultimately evolved so much so that they became predators. And so it was a flaw in his design, quote unquote. So then he created the Eternals in order to combat the deviants. And then it just became this ongoing cycle of creation and destruction over and over. These planets are created in order to birth new celestials over the course of I mean, millions and millions of years. It's just kind of a part of the process. This is this is what this is what a god does. This god level <laughs> shit that we just can't understand, right? Um, uh-huh. I remember watching this the first time. I see this movie twice, and watching it the first time, I'm just like, whoa, this is this is heavy. This is really heavy. I can't even imagine how they feel. But there's a lot of information revealed there. I mean, just overall, 
it was a lot for her as a character to deal with, but I think it was also equally, you know, a lot for us as an audience to deal with, and it worked or it didn't mm-hmm. work for you. But what, what did you just think about, you know, all that information that we found out about her character and how she had to maneuver this entire situation? Man, first of all, these Celestials just be lying, boy. I mean, dang, can't, can't tell nobody the truth. Um, I, I really do love the, um, again, I kind of got to keep, keep talking about that Neil Gaiman run um, that, I, that I read at some point where... Uh, uh, humans, celestials, in the or no humans, eternals, and the deviants were all kind of created in the same, maybe not breath, but kind of in, in, in kind of that same vein where eternals were supposed to be more human-like, and deviants were a little bit closer to that uh, to that celestial-like like feel. Um, and it's it always feels like the, throughout the movie, it's like up to Cersei to to just decipher everything that's going on. And it's just like, does not feel fair, right? The entire time. But Cersei is also the most powerful, which is funny because initially you don't think about it when you're watching the movie. You're like, all she can do is like turn stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, eh. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, she turns the bus in the, what, is, what was it? Roses or rose petals? Yeah, like rose petals. And, and you're know. like, you're like, oh, that's cute. You know, but then, <laughs> But then in the end, you're like, oh, shit, maybe never mind. I'm sorry. Sir. As soon as she turns that deviant into a goddamn tree, I was like, oh, yeah, no, nah, this is this is something different. Uh, what's going on here? But it's it's again, I think it's important to note how um, she is just. How she's just been given all this burden from Ajax, you mm. know, and, and I don't really they, they kind of try to explain it, but you're like, dang, why her, Ajax? Like, initially. Mm-hmm. And eventually, again, you figure it out. Um, but it, it really is that personality piece, even more so than that power piece, I think. And I think it, it was that power piece I was looking for that even got me while watching the movie. I was like, but these powers, what do you mean? She's the one. And then she she, she changes your mind by the end, and I thought that was really cool. Um, but she she's a beast, though, man. Cersei is really important. She is one of the most important Eternals, as you can see in the movie, as she is um, um, in, in the comic lore. So uh, I thought she did amazing. I thought Jimma Chan was a beast. Uh, even even just the, the concept of, again, all, all these Eternals are based off some kind of legend, right? Or Greek god or, or what's going on. And Cersei being um, one of those, I guess, deities from the Odyssey who turns humans into animals, you know, is like a, a whole nother thing. Um, that is it, cool to reference kind of, I guess, in, um, in just the mythology that we have as humans. I thought it was really dope. So, yeah, man. Yeah, this was also technically not Jimmy Chan's first appearance in the MCU. She actually nope. appeared in Captain Marvel back in 2019 as Minerva, which is yeah. a Kree. Um, and she was in a ton of like prosthetic makeup, so you couldn't really recognize her, but it's just mm-hmm. like a funny little tidbit. Now she's coming over playing this new character, this, uh, this Cersei character. Um, Cersei also has importance because she becomes an Avenger in the comics. So I think that there's definitely some story there, which we could probably look to in the future when we're thinking about like who this future Avengers team is going to be. Um, there's also some other Avengers in this movie, movie, or at least future Avengers that we'll talk about. But um, I think Gemma Chan, man, I think that she brought a, a true emotion to this role that was really necessary because mm-hmm. she is this unsuspecting person that all, all of a sudden you know has to bear all of this responsibility out of nowhere. Of course, they don't suspect that Ajax is going to die and be killed nonetheless you know by one of their own of course and now Cersei being the one who has to deal with the confusion and just the logic of like what all this means and what she's supposed to do and how they can stop this plan because when you get that really high concept idea of just like the creation and destruction cycle that these celestials have been a part of 
it's just like, whoa, this is really higher than anything we've ever dealt with in the MCU before. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it becomes a story again about is humanity worth saving or not? Because a good amount of these Eternals do think so. And Ajax is one of those, you know, key people who thinks like, you know, I've seen what humans have done. And, you know, they showed that shot in the trailer and we got to see the the extended um, scene of where she witnessed what happened with Thanos in, in, in Infinity War, how he mm-hmm. eliminated half the universe. And then the people of Earth, specifically the Avengers of Earth, are the ones who brought everybody back. And that actually delayed the emergence, which is the name of this event, um, to, to basically birth this new celestial called Tiamat. And it just puts it all in perspective that Earth is just an egg, which yeah. is really fucking crazy. It's like, wow, <laughs> yeah. that's that might that might be the only thing we're here for because you know, I'm I, sometimes I just think about this randomly like, yeah, you know, if 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 humanity just goes, if we just end up extinct, you know, the universe is going to be around for billions and billions and trillions of years after we're gone. You know, yeah. it's just like we came and then we were gone and we just never happened. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got me, you know, rethinking about that concept watching this that like this is just a part of the cycle and us as humans, this isn't to get religious. I think this is more so on a just again a, an existential level. But if you think about gods or a god and just like what has to happen with the natural evolution of things, you think about extinction level events. Mm-hmm. These things are violent. They just happen, and to them, it's just another you know part of the process. This isn't the idea. Isn't like oh yeah, seven and a half billion humans are going to die and just all of a sudden be gone. How crazy is that? It's just like <laughs> no, this has to happen because guess what? We get to birth many more worlds based off of the energy um, that's created and that's the only reason that they're around and i just found it extremely it's a little unsettling and scary to think like oh wow the eternals were really here to just help us thrive as humans so that we could have enough population to provide this energy for this new this new celestial that's being birthed and so I was sort of wrestling with that as 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 Cersei was wrestling with that. Um, and she didn't say a lot all the time, but I think the emotions that Jimmy Chan brought to the role, you can tell that this was weighing heavy on her spirit for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also involved in a love triangle. She's dating yeah. Dane Whitman here, played by Kit Harrington, And she also has this very, very long-term relationship that spans thousands of years with Icarus, played by Richard Madden, um, which, I mean, how great was it to see... Richard Madden and Kit Harrington <laughs> back here on screen. Um, the last of the Starks are back together again. Uh, Jon Snow and um, Rob Stark here. Just that was dope. And so that was also a big part of her character, navigating these two relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so we got, you know, a little bit of Dane Whitman here. He wasn't in the movie all that much. There's more to talk about a little bit later, but, you know, Kit Harrington here. Any, any thoughts just about what he brought to this performance as sort of being like the human in this story, being the one that's the most relatable to us as an audience. Yeah. Uh, I can just imagine again, just being on the sideline when you're the, the your girlfriend just starts doing wild stuff. Um, and again, this happens all the time, right? I mean, MJ, Spider-Man, but it's like when it's an eternal level, you think about it, I think a little differently than when Mary Jane finds out about a Spider-Man, you're like, cause you know, she tells the story and you're like, so you did what? <laughs> like I like even though he he nods his head like he understands part of me is he, I just know he's still like what the hell is really going on here um, and it, it's like something maybe you'll come to understand one day but like that day is not the day that you're going to understand what the hell um, you have going on so I like of course I'm a huge Kit Harrington fan man um, I, I like what he brought to the table and again again we'll continue to bring to the table later on. 
Shout out to him for sticking around and not getting scared by all of this. I mean, a lot of a lot of people would just be like, you know what? I'm good. I didn't sign up for this type of relationship. I'm going. I'm gonna just bounce. Like I can't. Right. I can't deal with you being this immortal being. Like talk about just baggage. Want, yeah, it's it's a lot. Of, it's a lot to take in. Um, he had that funny line where he was like, you know, can you turn me into a giraffe? Like you can change things, but she can't do that quite. You know, that's not necessarily her power. But we do find yeah. out that she has. <laughs> She has some ability. She has that moment in the middle of the movie when they're having that fight with the deviants in that forest when they go f- go to find Druick where she's able to change that celestial into a tree, essentially. Mm-hmm. So she is able to change sentient matter. And that kind of leads to one of our other questions that we have from at nat- natural underscore may. Um, she asks, Arsham mentions that Eternals are not designed to evolve. However, Cersei appears to have developed new powers. Do you think she is evolving or is she just unaware of the power that she actually holds? Which I think is actually a really good question that they did not address, wow. right? Like, mm-hmm. that was one of the big pieces of, of knowledge that Arsham dropped on Cersei, that we purposefully designed you not to evolve so we can avoid the previous design flaw that we had with the Deviants. Yeah. But we're led to believe that she can only change non-sentient matters, so just objects, rocks, walls, trees, whatever the case may be. But here mm-hmm. she takes that Eternal and, you know, destroys them, turns them into a tree. I, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that this is just her, like, becoming aware of how powerful she truly is? Even though, I mean, she's been around for 7,000 years. Yeah. Kind of hard to believe this might have been the first time that she tried something like that, right? Man, uh, if you go back to the beginning of the film, again, where there was 6,000, whatever, BC, um, and she changes the, the wave of that dagger that she has in her hand. Oh, yeah. It's one of, the, one of the most powerful, I know it happens really early, but it's one of the most... Again, I think powerful parts uh, of the idea of this movie, right? Because that was a real dagger recovered from a Sumerian city, right? Like the village that's among the first civilization in history books. Um, And that imagery, again, if if you see the hand, uh, the dagger in her hand, she she waves it and then she tries to hand it to the boy. And of course, it resembles Michelangelo's creation of Adam, right? Mm. Where, Where God... Where God's uh, on the left, no, God's on the right, and, and uh, Adam's on the left, you know, and it's it's it's, it's the whole painting. But it's just it it show it goes to show again how much influence these people have over uh, the lives of these people, and specifically Cersei. Again, we see throughout this entire film how much she just loves humans. I mean, she's the one that she's dancing in the circle. She's cooking with them, but she's always smiling when she's with when she's with these people. And I think over time, she's been here so long that Ereshim has uh, uh, undermined how one how humans evolve and how humans can change other people. Mm. And I and I think Cersei had been a part of that environment for so long, watching humans evolve, watching humans become something else that she learned to grow herself. And it, it's like a it, it it ended up becoming a feature, not a bug for her, like in her pro in her programming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's kind of Airshim never seen it coming because he didn't program her like that. But these are again, we talked about it, these are like real people and actual beings. And he didn't he didn't understand that being in an environment that is a human environment would cause his eternals to grow. And I think that's what's happening. Ooh. Y'all, we are about an hour into this podcast. and we, we, we got deep, deep. I mean, I'd stick with us because this, this is that type of movie. But uh, I, I think you're on to something there, man. I think, uh, again, it's this idea of humanity. Are they worth it, right? And I think mm-hmm. her experience on Earth has changed her because I think we're led to assume that this has probably never happened before in the 
thousands of other iterations of Cersei that have come before what we yeah. see now, it's probably this specific iteration of Cersei that's on Earth and her experience on Earth interacting with humans has inevitably changed her yep. and you know by the end of this movie we see that arsham because of cersei and, and the eternals that backed her because of their decision to go against his plan and to stop the emergence mm -hmm. he comes and gets them at the end and he says you know i'll spare the people of earth now but i'm gonna go through your memories to see if they're worth keeping around here That's just scary. and he might he might find in that process that they are based on the fact that she was able to Something happened that allowed her to evolve and become stronger than she is. So I think you might be on to something there. It's a really interesting thought. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Icarus. Icarus, played by Richard Madden, and he is one of the more powerful, more powerful members of the group. Icarus yeah. has the ability to fly and also shoot beams of light from his eyes. And Chloe Zhao has talked about that Man of Steel, specifically Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, was a big influence on the creation of mm -hmm. this iteration of Icarus, played by Richard Madden. Very much taking the aesthetic of what happened with Henry Cavill in that role, with the powers of Superman and the flight and the and the laser beams that comes out come out of the eyes. You can you can very see the the, the remnants of that movie coming into this character, but he turns out to be a bit of an asshole of the group and uh, is is the guy solely responsible for the death of Ajax here. Um, we're led to believe that a deviant killed Ajax, and that's why the Eternals all all of a sudden have to get you know brought together. But the big thing that happens. Um, a little bit over halfway through this movie is that Ajax, as she's explaining to Icarus, you know, that the emergence is on its way and they have seven days. She she says, you know, I think that I think that the humans are worth saving. I think that this place is different and we should try to get the family back together to stop the emergence. And Icarus is not having it. He has full faith in the Celestials and their plan. He very mm -hmm. much believes in that idea. And ultimately that leads him to backstab and betray Cersei. Um, or excuse me, um, betray Ajax specifically. And so he takes her to Alaska to show her where these deviants have, have come from. And he pushes her, you know, onto that, onto that ice glacier, you know, um, sort of surface and they kill her there. Yeah. And it's really, it's really dark. And, you know, for me coming into this movie, I suspected, I didn't know it was going to specifically happen like that, but I, I mm -hmm. truly expected that Icarus was going to end up being, yeah. Just not with the shits in some regard. I didn't know mm -hmm. exactly what the story was going to be, but I suspected that by the end of the movie, we were going to be on opposing sides between Cersei and Icarus specifically because they they're involved in a in a, in a in a you know romantic situation, but they obviously feel differently about their existence and what they mean on Earth. And so mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily surprised by the twist, but I do find that that's really where the momentum of the movie picked up, where mm -hmm. I, I think you get that information about his his betrayal of Ajax and then also, you know, subsequently other Eternals. Um, but we do see that there's a bit of a civil war. Some people support support, you know, um, um, Icarus and his plan, Sprite specifically, even Kingo decides like, yeah, I, I believe in what he believes in. I actually support that. Kingo just decides not to fight in the end. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, this, this, this led to, you know, a big divide between the group. But ultimately, what did you think about Richard Madden and what he brought to this role as Icarus? Yeah, man. First of all, again, we said it earlier, it's great to see him here too. I mean, the great Rob Stark. Uh, what a beast. What a beast. Uh, but you know, um, again, this character, they make fun of it where where uh, the, he says, Icarus, you mean like the legend of Icarus? Um, and Sprite goes, yeah, I made up that story, you know, back whenever when. And it's like, but his his story in this movie falls so close 
<laughs> to to the actual um, legend of Icarus, and that's I think one was one of the coolest things for his character for me. Of course, he is he was the strongest, um, and he and which is wild because there's another dynamic there, right? About um, power versus position, and he had power, and everyone was looking like Icarus, you're the leader now. Where Cersei mm. had the position, everyone was like, so. Everyone in theaters like, so y'all not gonna listen to Cersei, who has the actual <laughs> position yeah. now. You only listen to the strongest person. Um, and uh, uh, you know, I kind of got to talk about the legend a little bit, right? It, how Icarus, you know, his his father made him some wings, but made out of wax. Told him not to fly too close to the sun, and also don't fly too close to the water. Um, he got too excited, flew too close to the sun, and ended up drowning. Mm-hmm. And it really, it the, he literally. The, here, the the Celestials, Erishim, was the sun. He flew too close to Erishim. His, the thoughts, right? The the way Erishim built them. He flew too close to what his he was told that he was supposed to do in the world and wasn't enough of himself. And he ends up regretting it, right? Um, he ends up drowning in his sorrows. Hear me. <laughs> he ends up drowning in his <laughs> sorrows and then quite literally throws himself into the sun. That's some crazy shit. Um and, you know, just for that, I think uh, uh, to be present in such a film, I thought was just a good job, I think, um, because people don't always go that extra step because they could have just made fun of it and then not did anything about it. <laughs> um, and I'm at least happy they did something. I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, that's dark. You know, that's kind of like how the reaction went. I was like, damn, that was dark. He didn't have to do that. Um, but he did. And, he, you know, and he felt some type of way. And I thought Richard Madden really did bring a sense of believability to how he felt. Like he was, I mean, his on, on screen, he he wasn't changing for nobody. He's like, nope, this is what I think. And y'all against that? Y'all against the person that created us? Okay, that's cool. I mean, I can kill y'all too. Um, what's what's really what that what's really wild about that is how quick he was to change, though. Yeah. Like there was no uh, initially, anyways. We didn't see any sign of struggle in his character when he was when he decided to do what he did. I, there was no like quick thought or you know what i mean it was it just didn't feel like he regretted anything that he was doing at the time until the end uh and i thought that was an interesting choice i thought maybe like he would have some type of thought process or like you know something to get him to that point of, of throwing his family or the, and the rest of the turnovers kind of overboard um but we didn't see that but again I, I i thought he was good um as an antagonist i just wish the deviants were important too I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's they're a whole other thing to talk about. But yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt. No, for sure. Yeah, he 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 definitely turns out to be the real antagonist of the story here. And I think the the unfortunate thing about Richard Madden's performance in particular is that for the first half of the movie, he didn't really have anything to do. He was just kind of around. Like we got mm-hmm. a little bit of work done between the the romance and relationship between him and Cersei, um, right. which. It wasn't as central of a story as I thought it was going to be coming into this. Like, I thought that that was going to be a big, big thing. And I don't think that they put in as much time on that front as as I thought that they would. Again, because they had so many different things that they had to achieve. Um, we also got our first sex scene ever in an MCU movie, um, which was... Um, unexpected to say the least but it happened it, it, it came and it, you know it happened and it was a thing but um it, it, for me like the first half of the movie he didn't have that much to do but obviously the turn and where you find out he's the one that killed Ajax that's really where his character came to life and we got to see more of the acting chops from Richard Madden and I do think that the moment where he's having the conversation with the rest of the group where they all find out that he killed Ajax um they're on you know on board of the the, the dojo their ship 
and you can see the tears well up in his eyes and he's just like you know i i i really believe in this and i love you all mm. but i'll kill you if i have to and one of the things that i was just kind of curious about though is like once he found out that Ajax wanted to save humanity and he decides to betray her, why not just let the emergence happen? Like why? Cause he, he was the one that was advocating to getting the family mm. back together. He was the one that advocated to get the group back together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why exactly you would do that knowing that it would probably lead to the rest of them finding out that you did what you did. Yeah. Why not just keep everybody apart and then let the emergence mm. happen? He does have that moment where he says, you know, the mm-hmm. reason that I wanted to, you know, find everybody is so that the deviants didn't kill you. You know, he wanted to protect them. But as you mentioned just now, he had that moment where he said, I'll kill every single one of you if I have to in order to yeah. allow this to happen. So it just, it was, it was very lopsided to me how, you know, quickly back mm-hmm. and forth he would go on that cert- on that certain stance. And it just didn't, it didn't always make sense to me in that, in that, in that regard. But mm-hmm. by the end of it, once he finds out he, that he's not able to bring himself to kill Cersei his love you know his one true love like he actually does love her and you can tell Mm -hmm. um once he realizes that he's not able to you know to kill her and he's not able to fulfill the purpose that he thinks he he exists for he just he goes for it and kills himself he offs himself by the end of it we're led to believe that he's he's done for um I do feel like it's a definitive kill I mean maybe we see him again but I don't know it felt pretty definitive to me in terms of just like a guy who believed in his idea and his mission mm-hmm. and had faith in, in, in Arsham specifically and just decided like, well, that faith has been broken and I was unsuccessful and I can't do what I thought that I could do. And so I have no purpose anymore. So let's just go ahead and be done, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. the last thing I'll say about Icarus, I did love the action sequences that he had against the deviants. Like the fighting I thought was cool, even yeah. though the deviants weren't really anything, but like seeing him fly around, use the laser beams out of his eyes. That shit was dope. And even we saw it in the beginning. We saw it in the middle. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really good stuff. He also had a nice fight with Makari at the end. We're going to circle back to that and talk more about Makari and her speedster mm-hmm. powers. But really good action sequences and showcase like just how powerful he is compared to the rest of the group. So lots of stuff to pick apart from Icarus. I know we'll revisit him more, especially as we talk about the next Eternal, Sprite, which is pay- played by Lee McHugh. So Sprite here is very, very interesting because Sprite has the ability to project lifelike illusions. So mm-hmm. she's kind of a master manipulator, um, a little bit like Loki in, mm-hmm. in that a sense. A lot of that it. She can, yeah, a lot, <laughs> of, a lot of like Loki can project these lifelike illusions. Um, Sprite is also a young child. She cannot not look 12 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like for all eternity, she's the one that's, for some reason, has been designated by Arashim to always look 12 years old. And... There's definitely a tragic element to her character in that regard that she can't look older and grow up. And we find out throughout the course of this movie um, by way of Kingo that she's actually in love with Icarus and she knows that she can never have Icarus because of the fact that she's a child and he's obviously um, a grown man. And it's it's really tragic, and the way that Kingo compared it to Peter Pan, I thought was was pretty brilliant. The fact mm-hmm. that you know Tinkerbell was in the same situation, you know Tinkerbell cannot you know cannot be with Peter even though she loves him, and we see that by the end of it, Sprite makes the decision to side with Icarus in the in the final battle because she obviously wants to support him, and then literally betrays Cersei, like actually stabs her in the back with a knife mm-hmm. um, again, very much like Loki, you know, just kind of using those trickster elements to to. to to surprise Cersei in that in that sense but I thought Leah McHugh brought you know a, 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 an interesting dynamic to the story and played her character well because her character annoyed the fuck out of me to be honest Same. I'm just like yo 
what's going on with this person? Why is she so angry? I get why she's so angry because yeah. she can't have what she wants to have. But damn, I'm just like really ticked off by her presence mm-hmm. at all times. And she's yeah. kind of a dick all the time. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I got I got to shout out Leah McHugh for playing that role because that's probably what they told her to do. Like, mm-hmm. you need to be this type of person. You have to have this 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 sense of darkness and anger with you within you because you just can't have the things in life that you want to have. So, uh, yeah, that that those are my initial thoughts on Sprite. But uh, interested to hear what you think. Yeah, even her voice was annoying at times. At like the beginning, she was like, "Was that a deviant?" And I was like, "Oh my god. Like stop this right now." Um, yeah, man, but she's still a, a, a good character. This is one of Sprite is also one of the most important Eternals in the comic books. There's the again the same run I'm talking about. She is kind of the villain, but not a villain, and it's kind of that same conflict where she just wanted to be human. She got tired of being 14. And she was like, what can I do to be 14? So in the in this comic run, she actually kind of tricks the Eternals um, into forming a uni mind, like on accident, kind of just just to make her um, a, a human. Um, and there's, there's other stuff with it. But, you know, uh, it, it's really cool seeing it come to life here. Uh, I think she did a great job. Like you said, still, I think everything that was happening was things that uh, they told her to do. The Tinkerbell stuff is deep. I think I was like, damn, that's jacked <laughs> yeah. up, man. I was like, that's, that's really messed up. Um, but, you know, one of the only things with her character, we kind of just talked about how she had really similar powers to Loki. And part of me wishes that, you know, maybe some of these, maybe it was just connected somehow, right? Like maybe like Loki seen sprite do this i don't know but like they were just so alike that i was like damn i've seen this before it was like damn it's, it's loki yeah. um and i just wish there was again some it, it would have been fixed if they just gave me an explanation like I, yeah again i don't know loki seen sprite do it because he peered leak looked into the earth's past and seen her do it or something or you know or some type of um yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but I, I really wish they made that connection, but it, it just felt a little too familiar. Um, but yeah, man, she had an interesting uh, a conflict. I don't even know. It's like, damn, you did all that just because you love this person. I don't know. It, mm, it, it's almost yeah. like it's almost like they just needed one more person to throw over to Icarus aside. And they were like, it needs to be you. Um, even though that's again probably realistic. Again, we're talk, kind of talking about the Tinkerbell stuff and what people will do for love and this and that. But you love somebody for years. I guess, you know, you're going to side with what they do, no, no matter, you know, the ways in which they were thinking. I also thought it was interesting how quick they forgave her. Like, they weren't even, like, really mad at the end. She's just walking on the beach. Like, <laughs> she like, literally stabbed Cersei with a knife through her fucking <laughs> abdomen, and Cersei was cool with her by the end. I'm like, wait, what? Like, yeah. this just happened, like, a day ago. What are you doing? <laughs> just walking like, on the beach. Like, nothing ever happened. She was like, is he gone? <laughs> I was like, damn, you, didn't you just stab somebody? Okay, I guess nobody's mad. Like, I, lock her up for at least a day or something. I don't know. <laughs> be Punch her in the face. Do something. Be mad at her. I know she looks like a kid, but she's not. <laughs> nah, she's definitely not. <laughs> but she's not. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. But, yeah, man, she was cool. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more of her. I don't know how, now that she's quote-unquote human. Um, but there, yeah, I... Part of me thinks something will happen once she's older to make her want to be an eternal again. And like that will turn her back and they'll find a way to turn her back into an eternal with that same energy that they took away from it. 
I don't know if that'll happen, but that's just kind of what I thought in my head as I was watching. I was like, oh, she'll be back as an eternal when she's older or something. But she just wants to age. Like, I feel like she'll like being stuck at 23 or something. You know, I don't know. But we'll see. Yeah, well, they cleverly fi- figured out a way to allow, obviously, Leah McHugh is a teenager, so she's going to just look older every single year. Mm-hmm. So they figured out the problem <laughs> of her, you know, looking older, so they just made her human by the end of it, which is what she wanted. You know, uh, Cersei took that power that she had from the from from the emergence, from stopping the emergence in the unit mind to, to allow her to be human. But, um, yeah, I do think we'll see more of her character and something – Something probably will allow her to come back into this universe or maybe another, you know, another franchise within the MCU to, to have a presence there. But, um, yeah, just, a you know, a, an interesting character that had a sense of tragedy to him, but certainly far from my favorite because I'm just like you are you're pissing me off at every turn here because you're just like crying and complaining all the time. Like, yes, I know it's dark and I know you're sad, but come on, get over the fucking shit. Like there's bigger things to deal with. But let's go ahead and transition. Let's talk about Thena. Play by Angelina Jolie. This is oh obviously the biggest name on the cast. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie is a superstar, and so I know, I know when we all found out that she was going to be a part of this movie, so many people were excited because it's like, wow, Angelina Jolie is doing a Marvel movie. Um, we talked about it earlier this year when she had uh, her other movie that debuted on HBO Max, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Um, but here she's joining this massive, massive franchise as a proper superhero, playing Thena, who's an elite warrior, um, and she can form any weapon out of cosmic energy. So she's kind of the most deadly eternal. You don't want to fuck with her. And we see early in the movie that, again, because of this this mad weary that she's dealing with the the weight of her prior memories Mm -hmm. um, starting to fracture her mind. She can't control her impulses because when this happens, she becomes extremely deadly, extremely aggressive. She starts to fight anything that's, you know, within 10 feet of her. And it it, it results in Ajax almost wanting to erase her memories to sort of just like reset her so that they don't have to deal with this problem. But then we see the Gilgamesh, um, the strongest eternal, is you know sort of stepping forward to take her and to protect her and to make sure that she's not able to kill anybody or kill any of her fellow eternals um but ajak here badass completely somebody you just don't want to fuck with at all played by angelina jolie here i think you know she didn't have that much to do in this movie Mm -hmm. but i think that that was a smart decision because it would be so easy for angelina jolie to just take over here because Mm -hmm. she is the superstar she's one of the most recognizable faces on earth one of the most popular actresses that we've had obviously an academy award-winning director has been a part of huge huge films and has been in our public consciousness for like 30 years now and so i think it was actually smart to kind of play her down a little bit and give Mm -hmm. her a little bit less to do just based on that fact because there's other characters here that need more time and so I was satisfied with that. I know that there's definitely been some complaints from critics and other audience members like, oh, if you have Angelina Jolie, why don't you use her? And I actually think that they used her really smartly here because she also, again, survives at the end. So this doesn't necessarily mean the end for her character. We could see mm-hmm. we could see um, Thena pop back up. But all of her fight sequences and shit were, were just dope to me um, to see her be this this deadly warrior to form these cosmic weapons, you know, and. She's ultimately responsible for the death of Crow, who becomes like the most evolved deviant by the end of it. She just slices his ass up like it's nothing. And I love that. I just thought all of that was dope. And then also her relationship with Gilgamesh was really special here. I actually mm-hmm. I bought into their relationship and the fact that he was the one he was really only the one that was capable of you know being able to control her because he is the strongest one out of the entire group. That made sense to me. And I liked their chemistry and I liked what they had to do here. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Dana as a character. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, 
who else to play, you know, the woman who inspired Athena than Angelina Jolie? You know, it made so much sense. She was aesthetically my favorite. Like the her costume, the all white gold trim. Of course, their powers have gold in it. The blonde hair. Of course, Angelina Jolie is just a beautiful woman already. And it's just like, yeah, they killed that. Like she just looked <laughs> yeah. amazing, like top to bottom. I was like, damn, they really, they really got her right. Um, and, and that part of it was was a lot for me. But also, like you said, they downplayed her perfectly to where she had a role um, that wasn't overbearing, but it was still Angelina Jolie. You know, and the moment she did have, you were like, yep, there's nothing I would have changed in that acting scene because it's Angelina Jolie. You know, it's like not much <laughs> else you can do. She, she, she's been around that long and she's that good. Uh, and, and you said it before, man, the Gilgamesh in, in her, you know, uh, their relationship was amazing. I, I really just think uh, uh, that we might see her again, too, at some point. You know, who knows? It might be something small. It might not be. Of course, she won't be like in a Cersei role. You know, in any upcoming movie, but we have Angelina Jolie in the MCU, and that's a big thing, I think. Like, I don't think we're talking about that enough. It's like Angelina Jolie is in the MCU. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think the only other thing that we, they really kind of left with her character is she still has this disease, right? Yeah. That it's like, damn. The, can we talk about that? Like, I, I mean, I just thought at the end of the movie <laughs> they were going to talk about it, and they never talked about it. I was like, damn, are y'all going to fix her? Um, which I. Do you think there's a way to fix her? Um, you know, I, I guess I'll talk about that later, but uh, uh, we'll see, man. But I loved her. I thought I thought she came what she or did what she had to do for sure. Yeah, that that is an interesting question though, because it's also like why why her specifically? Why is she the one that's dealing with this mad weary? I don't know if they explicitly address that and the fact that like again, it's it's kind of weird because all of these Eternals have technically existed for millions of years, even though their consciousness. Mm-hmm. is only reflecting their time on earth however her character athena specifically the memories that she has of these prior iterations of herself are are that that's what's causing the mad weird that's what's mm-hmm. causing this disease and her memories to fracture but why why is it why is that the case is is it because she's you know she's the deadliest warrior is that something to do with it i mean mm-hmm. you know Athena's a god of war goddess of war and so i'm just wondering maybe maybe it's maybe it's because of the destruction that she's been responsible for the violence she's been responsible for i don't know i they, they just never kind of alluded to that so it i think it you kind of have to do you know sort of circle mm-hmm. back and address that um hopefully they don't just abandon that it feel it feels kind of similar obviously on a much different and smaller scale but kind of similar to what um the winter soldier has dealt with with just like mm. the the pain and the memories and the you know sort of the disease um that was implanted in his mind and how they had to deal with that over the course i mean we, yeah. we dealt with that for years like mm-hmm. it started in winter soldier and they just wrapped that up in the falcon and the winter soldier mm-hmm. i think you kind of have to do something similar here with Thena. so hopefully hopefully they do continue that story um let's talk about kingo played by yeah. gianni um who comes in with just so much charisma he is the eternal kingo and he's able to manipulate energy with his hands he he sort of takes his hands and he's able to manipulate and shoot beams of energy with his hands so he's also a part of the group that's like one of the more powerful um warrior like eternals um one of the things we should have mentioned is that the group, like, it's an even 10 Eternals, and they're kind of split half and half. Like, five of them are considered the warriors, and then the other five are kind of considered the thinkers. And so, um, Kingo falls on the warrior side. He's one of the, the the more expert fighters. Anytime they need to go fight a war or fight the Deviants, they send out Kingo, they send out Thena, they send out Makari, they send out 
Gilgamesh and they send out Icarus. Um, so it was cool to see him, you know, have his powers. And then ultimately when they split up and they have to go live their own lives, we see that Kingo decides to become a huge and famous Bollywood actor. And that's how <laughs> we're reintroduced to his character after they split up. Um, and that's really where his story picks up. We don't really yeah. get to see much from Kingo in the beginning of the movie, but when Icarus, Cersei, and Sprite go to reunite the family and get everybody back together. They go to Kingo first um, on the set of his Bolly- Bollywood movie, Shadow Warrior 3. They're concluding a trilogy here. Uh, <laughs> Shadow Warrior has to be the corniest but most accurate <laughs> title ever. It's like if you look for like a generic action movie, it's probably going to be called like Shadow Warrior or some shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, so it was funny to see that. He has a big, great, like, you know, dance sequence with the other Bollywood actors and dancers. Um, and he's just bringing a lot of, you know, charisma here, bringing a lot of new energy to this cast. Obviously, you know, kind of the jokester of the group as well, telling a lot of jokes. Um, and of course, we, 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 we can't, you know, fail to mention his, his valet um Karun, who's played by Harish Patel here. We'll talk about him in a second, of course. But uh yeah, man, what what are your thoughts about Kingo and what Kumail Nanjiani brought to this cast? I mean, I every scene he was in, I think he stole it, man. He was he was one of my favorites in this movie. Um and I, again I kinda expected that. That's the kind of charisma and comedy I think that Kumail can bring to the table when given the chance, man. Uh and I also thought it was the funniest story, right? We were like watching a movie of a guy who makes Bollywood movies. You know, it's always kind of something fun to play with. Also just a fun idea that he like was his not only his dad, but he was his grandfather and his great great grandfather and his great 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 grandfather. Um <laughs> That was brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it really was great. Um and again, I mean, even his character, he he has finger guns. That's his power. Like and and it's funny because like it's kind of silly, but called it kind of cool at the same time. You're like, no, nah, this dude really has finger guns, and he he makes the most out of it. And again, like you said, we we kind of have his uh his valet Karun, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they're again, their dynamic is just way too fun, man. Like uh, they're constantly stealing scenes. This man has 85 cameras. They had <laughs> one camera that got broken, and another camera that got broken, and he had a third camera. Still, just to record this documentary that he was trying to make uh, uh, of his, I don't even know what to call him, of, of, of his, Master sounds terrible, of his, I don't even know what to call, what, what I don't know. the his phrase manager, is there, yeah. his manager, his, yeah. his boss, his, boss is better. Just boss, yeah, boss. his boss. Yeah. yeah, let's go with boss, of his boss, man. Um, and I, I thought that was, again, really fun parts of the film. Sure, it, it still felt, I think that was one of those things that, We'll always feel MCU-ish. The comedy will always feel MCU-ish uh, because those things don't necessarily have to exist in the capacity that they do, um, and they always do. But it's still, it's still one of the things that I'm going to laugh. Like if it's funny, I'm I'm, I'm going to laugh at it, and it, it's it's one of the things I enjoyed about uh, Kumail um, as a character. Man, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I mean that comedy is a part of their DNA. They've been that's been a part of the MCU since the beginning with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man and what. Um, what what they brought to that film and it's the it's the balance between comedy and the seriousness too because they often they often go back and forth and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the the geniusness of what the mcu has been able to accomplish to be able to you know have those moments of seriousness and have those moments of like tension and then be able to inject some levity into the into the scene and the sequence and kumail obviously you know huge comedy background and and you know academy award nominated you know um talent here he's bringing just a ton of new energy um i agree with you just his backstory like what he decided to do with his life was hilarious he's like oh yeah i'm gonna go become like the biggest bollywood actor ever 
And the reason I've been a leading man for 100 years is basically due to family history. My great grandfather was in this movie and then my great you know grandfather was in this movie. My grandfather. I'm just like, this is silly as fuck, but it actually works. And I <laughs> yeah. kind of buy it because you can you can sort of get away with that, especially with the passing of time. You know, mm-hmm. people will just naturally not question that sort of thing, I feel like. Um, and not every joke he told landed for me, but most of them right. did. And I do appreciate that. And I think that, uh, it was just also interesting to see that by the end of it, you know, he decided to essentially side with Icarus, but he mm-hmm. said, I'm not going to fight with you because I don't, I'm not, I, I'm certainly not going to hurt any of my other Eternals. Like, this is my family. So I'm just going to dip out here, which I get. It was just a little weird. It was a little weird mm-hmm. for him to just be gone from the fight. Like he mm-hmm. he had no stake in the fight at all when they had that. And I was just like, okay. Um, and then he pops back up at the end. But I, I guess it makes sense. You know, he 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 believes in what Icarus believes, but he just he he refuses to fight the other Eternals. Um, so that was a little weird for me. But you know, I think Kumail just did a great job and just all of his interplay and interactions with everybody. And then mm-hmm. Karun, just a goddamn. Just brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Harsh Patel here. Yeah. Just so funny. A character I didn't know was in this movie, I didn't expect to be in this movie. But again, another human character that I felt like was needed to ground this story as much mm-hmm. as you possibly can. Um, and to give a perspective that we as the audience can relate to. And he's just there with a camera just trying to capture this footage and everybody's breaking his shit. And he's just like, why are y'all so angry? Y'all are so, like, your family's so angry, Kingo. What's going on with this? And I'm just like, yeah, bro, they kind of are angry. They've been <laughs> dealing with it a lot. Um, but I, I really like that. And then that moment he had at the end when they left... You know, he just said, you know, thank you to all of them. He was like, thank you for what you've done for humanity. I'm going to miss you all. You know, and I thought that that was that was was a profound moment. It was like, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, he's actually appreciative, even though he's witnessing this family sort of, you know, deal with this dysfunction and this turmoil. He's still witnessing just like what the larger implications of this are. Obviously, he's biased because he's a human and he wants humanity to, to survive and Earth to survive. But I just thought that that was a really well done moment by Harsh Patel here, just Kudos to him, and also you know, kudos to Kumail and their 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 you know their shared chemistry and all of their their scenes together. Um, let's move on to talk about Gilgamesh, played by Don Lee, who is one of the most famous South Korean actors working out there today. I I absolutely love the fact that he's a part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know about Don Lee, he he's been in you know Train to Busan, which is a very yes. well known South Korean movie. He's also in this other movie that I really enjoy, The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil. He was just extraordinary in that film. He's done a lot of work, and the fact that he's coming in as this, you know, this thick, strong, just not to be fucked with Eternal, just whooping (laughs) ass left and right. I loved it. You know, he, he is considered the strongest Eternal out of the group, and basically he's able to conjure up just the the most powerful deadliest punch you can think of anytime they again they need to fight these deviants he's knocking their asses out left and right like (laughs) we cannot gloss over the fact that he basically open palm bitch slapped an eternal to death like he killed one with the open palm bitch i'm just like (laughs) oh yeah this is why he's here this is why we have him and so i I just you know as, as limited as his time was in this movie i just really enjoyed it He's the one responsible for protecting and keeping Thena safe because he's mm-hmm. the only one really capable to do so. He steps up and volunteers um, at the moment that Ajak, you know, is almost thinking about wiping her memories. He's like, you know, no, 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 I'll take her. I'll, I'll protect her. And they go to Australia. Um, um, actually, not to Australia. They actually go um, somewhere off off the grid, somewhere just like unknown, away from from humanity, away from just where she could possibly hurt people. And he's protecting her. He's also a great cook. 
he loves to cook. He has his, mm-hmm. his apron that says kiss the cook. And he's, you know, he's making a pie as he finds out that Ajax dies. And that was, you know, a sad moment where he drops the pie. Um, but yeah, oh, you know, not, 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 a, yeah, that was, that was like, damn, bro. He, <laughs> damn. He, he probably not spent hours pie. on that, but it don't, it don't even matter no more. Cause you know, know, he loved Ajax, obviously. Yeah. But, um, yeah, not too much to do here, but everything that he did, I really, I really enjoyed. And I just love seeing him beat the shit out of these deviants left and right. Cause boy, he was, he was a force to be reckoned with. Hey, bro, he was smacking them niggas up. It, it was like one of my favorite aspects of the movie. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, people ask me, what was one of your favorite things in Eternals? I'd be like, Gilgamesh hitting niggas. Because it just <laughs> it just looked so good to me. I was like, yeah. damn, he was fucking them up. Um, and it was satisfying every time. Like, I was, I was like, ugh. You know what you do? Like, with the screen? Ugh. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. yeah, bro. It, it, it was really, uh, really, really satisfying. Uh, one of the things I love about his character, you said he was the strongest, but he's also known to be one of the kindest, right? You kind of said it. He got he cooks, and you know he he does these little things in a small corner of the world while protecting Thena. Um, and I, I think that's a really cool idea that you can you can be the you can be strong and still be nice to people, you know. Mm, yeah. um, and that's like something, of course, that people don't do in this world, right? They can have whether you know technological uh, prowess or actual have strength boxers and stuff but they're a lot of them aren't just aren't nice they just aren't kind people and this is like the kindest people in the in the sea of gods mm-hmm. you know um and i and i think that's really interesting um with this character but like you said it man peppy donnelly's here um i hope we see more of him too like it, it, i think one one really important thing about this movie now that even though it was kind of shaky it's a beautiful mess of a movie like even though it was kind of shaky the now that it's all on the ground, and Eternals 2 is going to go crazy because they don't have to do a lot of that work, I think, that they had to feel like they had to do in this movie. And so being able to get more, you know, maybe get more Gilgamesh in the next movie or more Kingo in the next movie, it won't feel so, I don't know if muddled is the word, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, it won't it won't feel so forced. Um, and, and I'm excited to see more of him. I thought he did great. Go watch some Donnelly movies if you haven't. You already said one, The Gangster the Cop, The Train to Busan Man, The... Uh, there's another movie called The Outlaws. He was in. He, he's just really, he's just really good. Um, and, and you should check out um, a, a lot of his projects if you haven't yet. But I loved him, man. Gilgamesh was again also one of my favorites. But not a lot to do here. Yeah, I mean, if we do see him again, it'll it'll unfortunately probably have to be a flashback because that that he does have that big moment where he does die in mm-hmm. this film and he's uh, he falls at the hands of a deviant. That, you know, when they go to the this is where they actually go to Australia. They find uh, Druig in an Amazon rainforest. And again, in, in protecting Thena and making sure that he's safe, he, he essentially sacrifices his life for her um, in protecting her. And he, he comes across the deviant crow who basically absorbs his power. And then that's when crow becomes more an, a more evolved version of himself. And then crow now has that ability to have the, you know, that mm-hmm. powerful punch, even though we don't really even see him use it. Cause when he fights Thena, I mean, Thena just ends him instantly. So it was like, I don't, I'm like, why, why'd y'all kill him? If you're going to give him the power, <laughs> let him use the power. Like yeah. I, I, yeah, I really thought crow that by the end of it, when they were trying to, you know, prevent the emergence, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, okay, you know, it sucks that they killed Gilgamesh. Cause I really, really like Gilgamesh and what mm-hmm. he did. But I see that they did that in order to give Crow even more power to make him more of a threat. So that by the end of this movie, we're gonna get some serious Crow action, you know, and mm-hmm. him facing off against the Eternals, fighting Athena, fighting fighting Makari, fighting yeah. Fastos. And that didn't happen. Like mm-hmm. he just he hides in a cave and Athena slices his ass up with the quickness. And I'm just like, wait, so why did you kill Gilgamesh? <laughs> like right. we didn't, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get, I guess it gives. 
I guess it gives proper motivation for Athena to seek out that revenge because he's the mm-hmm. one that killed Gilgamesh. But I don't know. It just felt weird. Like I, I just yeah, I don't I, I don't agree. know if you had to do that. You know, I get I get Ajax's mm-hmm. death as much as I didn't want to see it happen. I get that because that set the story in motion. I'm just like, man, Gilgamesh. I don't know. Maybe it was because they were too powerful. They had to eliminate, you know, one mm. of their big power players so that, you know, you actually buy into the fact that they might be the underdogs here, which is, you know, it's a hard thing to believe in. Again, these are, you know, godlike beings. They're humanoids. They're immortals. So it's kind of hard to believe that they are going to be underdogs. But I think, you know, turning them against each other helped out. But, um, yeah, Gilgamesh, if we do see more, yeah, hopefully they, you know, maybe do some, you know, some prequel or flashback something to just get a little bit more of his character because I think that that would be that would be really cool to see more Don Lee here. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about Druig because that's where we do see uh, Gilgamesh unfortunately perish was in the rainforest that Druig is now residing in. Um, Druig is played by Bear Keoghan and he has the ability to manipulate other people's thoughts. Um, which definitely comes into play into the story a lot here. Druick is one of the darker members of the group, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of persona non grata almost. He he's a little bit of an outcast compared to the rest of the group. We see that he's very much, he's very much in opposition of the idea of just letting humanity tear itself apart, yeah. letting humans just have these wars and to commit genocide and to commit these these horrific acts of violence. When he has the ability to do something about it, he can take control of people's minds and make them do what he wants them to do. However, that's obvi- that, that that's obviously diametrically opposed to the idea of like free will mm-hmm. and allowing humans to evolve and go through this stuff as they need to go through it. Um, Ajak was very much a proponent of that. She did not want Druid to control people's minds, but I really found his character fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had a good amount to do, probably the most appropriate amount. And I actually, I thought Barry Keoghan brought some really, really interesting darkness and, uncertainty to his character because i think a lot of people coming into this might have assumed that he would have been the villain he might have been the one that would have gone to the other side because of how strong he he felt he felt like he could he could prevent all of these tragic things from happening but it didn't go that way he actually i think learned from some of his mistakes he learned that you know doing that was not necessarily the right way to go and that in order for humans to evolve they have to learn from their mistakes they have to go through these terrible things, and they, that that has to happen. So I really enjoyed just his arc overall in this movie. Um, I, I enjoyed that he he's powerful on a, on a different level. He's he's not powerful from a strength perspective, man. He can he can make you do whatever he wants, and that's a, that's a scary thought. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's almost Xavier like from X Men. You know, it's 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 a it's an unforeseen level of power that you really can't you really can't commute or compute. You know, in in your yeah. mind because just of how much he could do with it. And so I thought, I thought he was good. Um, another character that I'd love to see more of from the future. Like if they do make another Eternals film, I, I'd love to see him get more to do in the future because he could, he could really influence and shape just like how the team maneuvers and operates in the future. Yeah, man. Even uh, in the comics, he's the same way. He has the same dark eeriness to him. Um, but in the end, he's never that all the way. He never, um, but again, that darkness is always there. And I think mind control powers on a scale like his makes him one of the most powerful in the MCU, right? He like talked about in the movie several times how he could at any time control the entire planet, you know? And it's just like, yeah. you can do what? <laughs> Excuse me? Um, and again, we even see him use his powers kind of in connection with the Unimind control the whole celestial um, in a way. And so like imagine... If he had been around the Battle of Infinity Stones, like the things that he could have done, uh, like what well, Thanos have even stood a chance, you know what I mean? Because he he really sure. he, 
like you, you you said it. He's like the Professor X of the Eternals. Like he can, mm-hmm. he's really in people's minds and stuff. And it's it's just a really extreme power that I think. Uh, I don't want to say goals over our heads, but because this movie is isolated, there's so much more to think about. <laughs> um, yeah. in, in, in the way his character works, um, like you said, it man, uh, uh, Barry Keegan. I think he kills it here. Um, he really is a good actor, but he he's always kind of had that darkness to him, like yeah. Sacred Killing of the Deer. You know what I mean? Like all these movies, you're like, damn, dude, you got some scary stuff going on in you. Um, but he really is a good actor. I even like how they found um in specifically an Irish actor because Druig, you know, in my mind is like pulling from from Druids, um, you know, in like Ireland and like how the, like there was like magic. And a lot of times, um, well, not a lot of times, but the Druids, and I think in, in, in Ireland, um, ancient Ireland mythology, I guess, they were like the keepers of history, but they were said to influence the minds of people. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you got an Irish person to play, you know, somebody who might have, in, in this universe, influenced Irish ideology. And I was just like, this is cool, man. Like, so that's like casting director shit. Like, you got to look at the pages, <laughs> figure out what's going on, and, like, decide to cast people like this. And he's, like, the perfect person um, in order. It's like he was made, you know, some people are just made to play certain roles. And that, I think this is it. I think I, I really can't imagine um, anybody else uh, playing Druid at this point. But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about him and, you know, Makari's relationship. It was air for me, and I'll explain that later. Uh, I, but... Yeah, man, I think he did a great job. Like you said, the, almost the perfect amount to do. But again, one of my favorite things about him is he's always dark, but never goes all the way to the dark side. He's still he's still gonna gonna be on the eternal side, and I, I think that's dope. Yeah, very intentional casting decision there for them to like really think that out. Like, okay, let's get an Irish actor to play this to play this specific significant type of character that we're trying to go for here. And, you know, it begs the question again, like there's these existential questions that we've talked about, you know, his really is kind of revolving around the idea of like, would humanity just be better off if somebody just kind of made all the decisions? I think we can equivocally say like, no, like we shouldn't have somebody controlling us, you know, and taking Mm -hmm. away our free will because he has that moment in the forest when the deviants come to attack the Eternals where he's controlling the entire community, making them utilize the shotguns to, to try to kill the deviants. And it's just like... Seeing that mm-hmm. for an efficiency, you know, from an efficiency perspective, you think that that would be like, okay, that's the thing to do. But it's just like looking at it, it's like, ah, that's not, that's not, that doesn't feel right. Like yeah. you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. Or even what he did in, in Tenochtitlan earlier in the movie where he took mm-hmm. all of the people um, in, in that, in that community and he basically stopped the fighting. I'm just like, ah, but they played it for laughs earlier in the movie where, you know, they're hanging out and the, the guys are drinking and they're fighting. And then he just like controls their minds, makes them slaps each other, and then they hug. You know, it, it's stuff like that that's harmless, but then it can obviously turn dangerous and consequential later on. So um, I think that he realizes, hopefully by the end of the movie, that that's, you know, that's just not the way to do things. But mm-hmm. they sought him out to begin with because they thought that he would have the the power to be able to take over the mind of Tiamat. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even admits, like, I, I don't know if my power extends that far to be able to right. put a celestial to sleep, essentially, and to, and to control his mind because that's just a just an immeasurable amount of power. And so that's the reason that they seek him out. But he admits like, I probably can't do that for you. And that leads them to actually pursue Fastos, who, as we find out in this story, has essentially given up on humanity. 
Um, Fastos is, of course, played by Brian Tyree Henry, who we've talked about earlier. Um, and Fastos is an intelligent weapons and technology inventor. So he creates, you know, all of the technology that the Eternals have, but he's also very responsible for the creation of technology throughout human history. That's what we're at least led to believe here, that he's the one sort of creating these concepts and these ideas and probably implanting the knowledge and the and the thought process and the in the adventures across time to to mm-hmm. allow techno technology to you know continue human evolution cor- you know throughout the course of time um we're reintroduced to his character very late in the movie um actually with the flashback sequence that takes us back to 1945 in hiroshima japan um after the conclusion of the atomic bomb that was dropped on that city by the united states and it's implied that he's at least somewhat responsible because of the fact that he is responsible for technology and innovation and things of that nature, that he's somewhat responsible for allowing humanity to advance this far that they can create nuclear power. And thus that obviously creates this atomic war almost, you know, the destruction of Hiroshima, the loss of just many, many, many lives. Weird moment for me to witness because I'm like, are we really doing this? Like, that's kind of, I don't know. It, fe- it felt a little weird. You know, I, they didn't explicitly blame him. You know, he bl- he blamed himself. Right. But I don't know. It just kind of felt, that that's a that's a very significant and tragic thing that happened. Yeah. And to kind of, to kind of say like, oh, you know, this was a, this was a thing that somebody else did. This was a thing that, that non-human people did to, to, t- to kind of take away the responsibility from humans. Kind of felt a little bit weird. I didn't get mm-hmm. hung up on it, but I thought about it. I was like, I don't know. And then on top of it, like the black gay man is the one that's responsible for it. I'm like, wait a second, no, 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 we can't, we can't do that now. Come on, no, this, this ain't it. But you know, be that as it may, I will say that I really enjoyed his character, based on a lot of what I said earlier, and the fact that he was like the genius of the group was dope as fuck to me. That was yeah. extremely well done to me. Mm-hmm. That he's the one that's creating all this technology. He's an inventor. He's a scientist. He's an engineer. He's all of these things, and I just love that. And then obviously the family dynamic that we got a little bit of a glimpse of here really worked for me wanted more of it hopefully we can get more of it in the future but i enjoyed what brian tyree henry brought to this movie and though he came in almost at the tail end when he did come in man he was holding his own against everybody in the movie like the scenes that he was part of just electric and i thought that his energy and his charisma and everything that he brought here was just just fascinating and i really loved him and he he lived up again to my expectations it's electric boom 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 (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, so Fastos is definitely my favorite conflict in this entire movie, and I I think I have the Hiroshima thing from a different lens, although I agree with everything you just said, um, but again, throughout this, his time as an eternal, he sought to help the human population advance through technology. That's just what he loves to do. It's not even like that he had to do it. It's just what he just like, remember, they were in there, he was like, this is called the engine, and everyone's like, whoa, it's like 200 AD. <laughs> like, <laughs> Way too soon, bro. What the hell is an engine? Um, th- and he was like, okay, let's get rid of all that. This is the plow. There was nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's like the easiest thing that you can come up with. Um, but again, he couldn't give them too much too fast. One, again, they're really not supposed to interfere with human dealings too much, right? Like, that's not what they do. They're there to keep the deviants away. Um, but also, if they interfere with... Uh, with humans too often, right, and too much, as we said with Druid, they want to uh, evolve properly. Mm-hmm. And again, later we find out it's that same energy of them evolving 
um, technology that puts all the energy into uh, uh, the emergence in, in Tiamat. Uh, emergence uh, being able to happen. That's why when the snap happened, there was enough people on Earth for that to happen. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, Druig tells the group at some point, he's like, look, y'all, they're not worth saving. Again, we just talked about it with Druig, how he kind of felt he had this uh, this chip on his shoulder that you even said, it's probably not a good idea for one person to control everybody, but what if people don't die if that one person is controlling everybody? It's such mm-hmm. an interesting conflict, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so so Fasto settles for helping small quantities. Again, what I just talked about. He's like, okay, we'll just give him the plow. That works too. So here we are. And we come to the scene of the depicted bomb in Hiroshima again, which is when U.S. bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, Japan back in 1945 as a part of World War II. Killing somewhere between 100 to 300,000 people. I mean, just ridiculous. It's also like the only like real nuke to ever go off, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so again, Fastos breaks down as he believes his technology led to the creation of the nuke in Hiroshima and thus technology assisting in killing thousands. But it's not, I think this is where I kind of changed it in my head is that it's not by his own hand per se. It is humans that did what they wanted to with the technology given and which is why he's like, I did this. If, if my technology haven't, you know, helped them in the past, uh, Druick was right. This is a mistake. And these people are not worth saving. You know, we've been talking about that throughout this entire thing. All these people worth saving. Um, and of course, I can get way deeper here and talk about God and the idea of man, and the concept of free will, the travesties that human humanity has created and been a part of throughout history. But I, you know, I was just thinking about the scene and like this ideas for a long time, because how can you be built to protect people of a world who are actively trying to destroy that said world? And that's like the thing I think that's interesting in that in that entire Hiroshima sequence is that like, even though it kind of seemed like they were like, the Fastos, you know, create, <laughs> you know, this Hiroshima bomb going off. It's like, no, human free will did that shit. Like he was just trying to help. And humans as, you know, dark in, in, you know, violent as they are, evil as they are created that. And I think that's a very interesting conflict to have to deal with in a movie specifically, um, in Eternals. And that's why it was my favorite conflict of the movie. I thought Fastos was great, man. Um, but also, I, I think it's also another great idea how he opposed that idea when he had a family. It's like, oh, I see good in them. Maybe maybe there this there, there is something here, right? Maybe there is something to save. And I just love how they were able to, I think, kind of rectify um, his horrors and his nightmares that he's had um, and the things that he's seen. So yeah, like you said, I loved him. I, I love that he was the smartest. I mean, 10 out of 10. He had a son. Protect that nigga because Druick is crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like he got some crazy <laughs> uncles and aunties, bro. Yeah. His, his uncles and aunties are wild. Uh, but yeah, 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 I really I really do think that dude is a, uh, he's, he's a beast. I'm happy they gave it to Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, you know, and man, that the, the idea of so you said something interesting there about him, obviously, you know, being the person that wants to help and wants to advance humanity and advance technology so that humans can take this technology and ideally mm-hmm. do something positive and constructive with it. And, 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 and ultimately what happens is that we create something that's actually reductive and destructive and right. very violent. Um, in this specific example, the atomic bomb. And then you think about the idea that Here's what here here's where it got crazy for me in thinking about mm-hmm. it, where I'm actually like, this is a big idea to unpack. 
there were many wars that happened over the course of time, obviously, and many wars that they could have gotten involved with and interfered with that they yeah. chose not to. Mm-hmm. And Ajax was the proponent of them not becoming involved in any of those wars. We know, just based on human history, wars are actually responsible for the creation of new life, new mm-hmm. businesses, new economies. Right. Communities and populations actually thrive after the conclusion of wars. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, as much life that's lost in those conflicts, we know that specifically in World War II, even outside of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I mean, there's dozens of millions of lives lost in that war specifically, but then it created mm-hmm. the biggest economic boom, specifically in the U.S. after, you know, that, that right. created our new modern economy because we were coming off the heels of the Great Depression, which leads to the birth of more people. You had baby boomers mm-hmm. come in. There was huge population surges that happened, which is ultimately the idea that they're supposed to be here for anyway, mm-hmm. to help the population grow, to right. get enough energy to create the celestial, which is just like, this is so fucked up and so dark <laughs> yeah it is but it's a part of that creation yeah and destruction cycle that arshim talked about mm. violence begets violence yes but this ultimately results in the creation of new life more life you know across the universe especially in more celestials more energy it's all an exchange of energy as he said mm-hmm. and it's just like oh man that's actually some really heady stuff to wrestle with and uh i think yeah it's it's one of those things where i it 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 probably should make us feel uncomfortable to even have that thought in that conversation like i said you know i'm like y'all really gonna place that responsibility on this one guy yes you know taking it out out of the responsibility of human hands who who were responsible for this but then yeah your perspective is also i mean that that also makes a ton of sense like no, he didn't do this. Like the humans that are obviously just not worthy of this shit took it and did something that was horrific. And here we are, you know, dealing with this crisis. But um, yeah, all big, 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 heady ideas to wrestle with. Definitely some interesting stuff there. Um, but that brings us to our final eternal last, but certainly not least, the wonderful Makari played by Lauren Ridloff. Um, this eternal is a speedster. She's extremely, extremely fast. She's also deaf and we don't get too much from her character in this movie. She actually pops up as the last one to, to sort of rejoin the family. Um, basically, when Ajax sort of dismisses them all to go live their own normal lives, Makari just kind of sticks around on the domo. She's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I'm chilling. I'm good here. She sticks around on the domo. She's reading. She's going all through. You know, it looks like she's probably been collecting artifacts from from history and like bringing them back to the domo. She's just been chilling and she's been waiting to go home. She's, you know, she specifically says that in the movie that, you know, I've, I've waited for centuries to just return home. And now you're telling me that my home isn't real. But um, I, I really loved what Lauren Ridloff brought to this role. There was a there was a warmth to her character and there was also this protective nature to her as well. Like there were so many times where she was protecting other people. She had to go and save like her fellow Eternals from something that was happening. Like when, when Thena started tripping, she had to save, you know, mm-hmm. Ajag. Mm-hmm. Um, or even at the end when they were fighting Icarus, she went back to the Domo to save Fastos and to save Thena when the Domo had crashed. Yeah. So I just love that she was so protective of other people. And she was also a teacher because Druick was doing some silly shit. And she's like, uh, <laughs> you know, Ajag told us like, don't do that. This is why you shouldn't do it. And, you know, they had their little chemistry and stuff like that. Um, but I just got to say, I think that. I think that Makari might be the best live action speedster we've ever seen on screen because yeah. we've gotten two iterations of Quicksilver in mm-hmm. the MCU and from Fox. And we've gotten Ezra Miller's The Flash and the Justice League. Now, I love what they did with the 20th century version 
um, Fox of of of, uh, of Quicksilver, Quicksilver in the X Men movies. Yep. But they always slowed his sequences down to show how fast he was. They slowed everything down to show like this dude is ex- just extraordinarily fast. Ezra Miller's was the Flash. I think we've talked plenty about why that doesn't work on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, here, there was no slowing down. We just saw her moving fast all the time, getting shit done. And specifically the fight sequence she had with Icarus at the end on the beach, I think was the best action sequence in the whole movie. She was whooping his ass. Because yeah. she's not only fast, she's strong. She's powerful. Mm-hmm. Because she can use the momentum of her speed to actually fuck him up. And that's yep. what she was doing the entire time. And then she was also just like extremely... Um, useful because when Fastos told her like go find where this emergence is she did that shit in two seconds like she <laughs> automatically found where, where stuff was going down so that they can go and, and prevent this from happening yeah. so I thought she was incredibly useful I just love what she brought to the to, to the role here um, again not much to do want to see more glad she survived because if they would have killed her I probably would have got up and walked out because no don't kill off Lauren real off I also have like a crush on her because she's incredibly beautiful and I just thought she was dope as fuck I'm just like Yes, like I need to see more of her character in the future. I want to see her interact with other Eternals more and see just how much of a how much of a, of, of a force she can continue to be. And she she ultimately leaves at the end of the movie with Thena um, and and um, Druig to go back on the Domo to go search for other Eternals to see if there are other Eternals out there in the universe. So um, it looks like we will get more of her character in the future. But I I really love what Lauren Riloff did with this role. Oh man, I loved every bit of it. You talk uh, speedster, and it's a black woman, and she does sign language. What? Oh, oh let's go. Let's talk about that. No, she, she Makari really is amazing, man. Again, I told you before, I love speedsters. Um, how can you not love a speedster? Who again? All these are based off. I mean, you know, they created their own little mythologies within this world. This is the Hermes, right? Everyone's like, eventually, she became, you know, the myth known as Hermes. Uh, and she really is just a, a breath of fresh air, I think. Anytime she was on the screen, man, uh, you, like you said, I loved how powerful she was when actually fighting Icarus, smacking him around. I mean, she was whooping his ass. Yeah. Whooping Icarus's ass. Like, like by the end of it, you're like, is Icarus the strongest? Because, like, <laughs> I mean, they was whooping that nigga. I mean, Fastos had this man on the ground. He's like, about fifth on the list now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you're a little bit down there, Mr. Icarus, sir. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I love how they didn't have to slow anything down. What Macari had going on it was fast all the time. It looked fine to me. You know what I mean? I was like, ooh, this looks amazing. There was even the moment where she stopped, and in the back, there were like these boats like drilling for oil in the background. Oh, yeah, and you're yeah. like, damn, what a terrible world we live in. You know, it's like, <laughs> damn, this, this shit is terrible. But I, I love, um, again, everything Lauren Ridloff brought to this character, man. She also plays a uh, deaf woman in. The Walking Dead, which is yep. how do, how do you even get through a zombie apocalypse being dead? It doesn't make any sense. But it, you have to be a badass. Like that's the only that's the only explanation. You got to be a badass. Um, and and that's that's what I got here too. Uh, and I can't I, like you said, not a lot to do, but I think there's somebody else we'll see more of for sure. Um, because she she's that much of a beast and the the best speedster. I think like you you already said that too. So um, she was really dope. Yeah. yeah, they um, you know, the Avengers could have used her in uh in the battle against Thanos because she would have got shit done instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, they are they are choosing to sit by on the sidelines. But yeah, you know, I it, it was it, it was important too because she mentioned in the early in the earlier you know portion of the movie that she can sense vibrations. She can even hear and vibe you know the vibrations of when people talk. So she mm-hmm. knows when things are going on around her, and she can obviously read lips too. She she's able to like read what other people are saying, but. Yeah, and Lauren Riloff, you know, obviously also being a deaf woman in real life, um, you know, her coming into the MCU and being such a standout character here with 
little screen time comparatively to some of these other characters and just stealing all the scenes she was involved in. I also love the way her costume looked. I love that they went with the mm-hmm. red and gold look. Yeah. Um, you know, again, like we're talking about like Justice League comparisons like that. That does like resemble Flash. But, you know, the Hermes connection is also there, too. Um, just good choices. Very, very good choices made um, by everybody involved with her character. Um, and, you know, I think uh, before we talk about, you know, some of the post credit scenes, like we got to talk about just like the end of the movie and just like how things left off and I think the deviants obviously play a big part in that. You know, yeah. again, the the whole point of this movie that we find out is that the Eternals have to stop this emergence, which which they eventually do. Um, Cersei is able to conjure up enough power based on the uni mind that they're able to accomplish amongst all the Eternals um, in order to you know achieve enough power to to basically destroy the Tiamat um, celestial that's being born out of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And we also find out that basically there, there's a deeper connection between the deviants and the Eternals, and they think obviously because. The deviants were initially created to serve a similar purpose, and yep. now they're basically fighting out of resistance to to what Arsham did to them. You know, so they're not really the bad guys. They're kind of just fighting for their own existence and fighting to have their own identity and evolve because they're meant to evolve. But you know, they their process has sort of been stunted due to the fact that you know Eternals have been sent to to destroy them over and over. Um, and Crow, you know, he has a little bit of a moment, you know, where he sort of explains that, but not much. We also found out that Crow was voiced by Bill Skarsgård. Um, famously, who plays you know Pennywise in the it, in the It series, live action series, but um, not too much to do there. And then I, I think ultimately, again, they prove to just not be the main villains of this story. I think I think the deviant inclusion here was it like it really wasn't needed. They were just kind of there to be a punching bag and to be fodder for the Eternals. You know, they weren't mm-hmm. truly essential to the story if you really think about it. And I think. They, they ended up being some of the least interesting parts of the movies. Like, yeah, the fights looked cool and everything, but the whole space dog, wild animal aesthetic just didn't... I, I just didn't enjoy that. I think... I, th- I thought it looked fine, you know. Um, I know some other people didn't like the way that they looked. That might just be the actual character design, the fact that they kind of resembled dogs. People just didn't mess with that, which I, I totally get that, but... It just yeah, you know, it was just kind of a waste. You know, they didn't really do anything. They didn't have a personality. It, it turned out that the actual conflict was between the Eternals themselves, and not you know, not just these other these other deviants that existed out there. Do you think that we'll see any more deviant stuff in the future? That might be a thing, or or are we kind of done with that after the story? You know, it's it's hard to tell because I don't know. They just kind of messed up a little bit with the deviants. You know, we're kind of talking about. Um, again, the way they looked, they did look like dogs, but I know they were supposed to resemble like griffins and all kind of mythological creatures, I think was kind of the goal. But, um, we've talked about it before, how deviants were supposed to be, um, they're supposed to look like people, but like not at the same time. Like I remember a deviant in the comics, he looks like just a a big guy and like his stomach is a mouth. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's how he kills people though. He's like, I'll bite your head off. And then it's like dark like that, you know, but there's, there still have uh, humanoid thoughts and features. And, and I I wish they kept that because not until the end where again, we see uh, um, Crow become kind of humanoid and then they kill him. And it's like, damn, but you probably had some thoughts or ideas that would have been interesting to fit into the story. And then they don't do it. They just kill him. So, it's really hard to say because they messed it up if they'll go that direction. So I'm going to say no right now and just say they're just going to stay on the on the uh, celestial side. They may get brought up, but I don't think we'll see any more deviants. But we'll, you never know. I don't, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, you're probably right. If we do, it might be a long time before we see or any, hear anything about the deviants. And I mean, we also know that like Thanos is technically a deviant, you know, even though like Thanos 
is not a part of the story really at all besides you know what we saw in the mid credit scene but um there there could have definitely been more done there um mm-hmm. just based on that fact but it wasn't so they probably just might veer away from that i think uh, again i think that they were simply there to just be cannon fodder uh for the eternals just to show off their power and their strength because otherwise yeah. it wouldn't have really had anybody to fight except each other mm-hmm. um which may have been the way to go. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Icarus turn could have been revealed earlier. You know, and we could have mm. just got to the shit earlier. I think that yeah. that might have been a, a way to go, but we'll never know. We got what we got. So, um, we did get two stingers as a part of this movie. We got a mid credit scene and a post credit scene. Um, we'll talk about the mid credit scene first. Which, hey, thanks to the internet, got spoiled for us like oh three weeks before God. the movie came out. Um, I mean, if you don't know about this good on you for not seeing it but a, a writer from variety after the premiere of the movie two weeks ago in which a very small amount of humans get to see the movie at the premiere the majority of living folks on earth can't see <laughs> the eternals right. on premiere night um he decides to, to to tweet this this post credit scene and reveal which we ultimately saw that harry styles has joined the mcu as eros also known as star fox also known as the brother of Thanos. And in the mm-hmm. scene, we also get the reveal of Pip the Troll. Good played old by Pip. Patton Al- played by Patton Oswalt, um, who sort of comes through this dimension to introduce Eros. He's dr- like drunk, drinking, falling on his ass. And he introduces Eros, you know, has all of these really prestigious, highfalutin names for him. Um, damn near like, like Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. Breaker of Chains, <laughs> Keeper of the Throne type yeah, shit. Uh-huh. And uh, Eros comes through um, in a beautiful, beautiful costume and basically says that I know where to find your fellow Eternals. Because again, at the end of this movie, Arsham returns, basically busts open the sky and sort of kidnaps um, Cersei and Fastos um, from from Earth, and also Kingo, and, and says that he's gonna he's gonna basically proceed with judgment on what should happen. But apparently, Star Fox knows where they might be, so it Ooh. seems like we have a bit of a a bit of a lead in into what the future may hold for the Eternals. But um, yeah, man, Harry Styles, MCU arrows coming in here, Thanos' yeah. brother. What did you think, and what what could this mean? Yeah, man, I gotta get some background, of course. So, Pip the Troll, for those who don't know, uh, he at first didn't look like a troll, but because he, one, he's a drunk, clearly, but one time he drunk something, it transformed him into one, and they kicked him off the planet. That's literally what happened. They were like, damn, you don't look like us anymore. They kicked him off. He eventually teams up with Adam Warlock, important, hello, um, who we know <laughs> is being played by Will Poulter. That is, remember that. I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition, but pretty sure Pip the Troll. And Will Poulter's Adam Warlock will meet at some point in the MCU. I don't know when, but here we are with Eros and Star Fox, man. I mean, all right. So this is the brother of Thanos. The reason this is important, of course, is because both Thanos and Eros are the son of Alars and Suisan. They're both Eternals. They're literally kids. Their mom and their dad is an Eternal. But the reason Thanos looks so different is because he has a deviant gene. And that is why he looks, I mean, the way he looks, right? He got the ball chin that we always be talking about, some stripes on him, but that's because the deviant uh, gene that that he carries. And and in fact, when Thanos was born, his mom was so shocked by his appearance and thought that he was going to destroy all of life in the universe that she actually attempted to kill him. Um, But Alars, his father, stopped him or stopped her from, from killing Thanos. So Eros, of course, had the same parents as Thanos. But 
uh, he 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 didn't have the deviant gene, and he grew up on Titan, kind of again, kind of like Thanos did, but such different personalities. I mean, he was caring. He was like carefree, loving. He was just like the opposite of Thanos um, in in any way that you can think of. Um, and that, again, that's kind of how we get that opposite, this opposite brother dynamic. And throughout the time of comics, I mean, Thanos and Eros are like fighting all the time. We probably won't see that anymore because they got rid of that nigga Thanos. I mean, he literally <laughs> got snapped away. But it's the yeah. multiverse. You never know. Thanos pops up. They could fight. You know what I mean? Like, who, who knows what's going to happen? Um, and so... I, it's really cool to see him here, man. Eros is a—he's uh, an interesting character to to bring here again. A smart—he's a freaking whole Eternal, so of course you bring him into the end of Eternals. You make him Harry Styles, genius, another you know big star. How could you not make? It's like I, I think they really had uh, did what they had to do with Eros' uh, introduction in terms of um, the time to bring him in. I just—I was like, yeah, this is it. Uh, good job, but. We'll see, man. We'll see where this goes. Uh, clearly, he has some some things. I think the Eternals aren't going to trust him at first, of course, because, I mean, just a random Eternal just shows up on your ship, and you're like, what the hell's going on? Um, but he has, I think he has to find a way to explain to them he's an Eternal. I don't know. Do Eternals look at other Eternals and know that they're Eternals? I know they sound like, a, I said Eternals like 80 times, <laughs> but I, it's, it's just something um, interesting to think about. But we'll, we'll see what happens um, and where we see him next. Yeah, I actually think I think it's great casting to be honest. Um, you know, Harry Styles hasn't done a ton of work in Hollywood. He he wasn't Dunkirk, and I thought he did pretty good in that. And to see him join the MCU now as his character, um, and and playing Arrows, who's also known for like adventure and romance. I think I think mm-hmm. Harry Styles bring that appropriate energy for this role. So, and again, I thought the costume was fucking gorgeous. They nailed it again on on the look of him and and what he'll what he'll you know sort of visually sort of bring to the screen. I, I do just have to point out that that Pip the Troll fucking CGI looked awful. It was terrible. <laughs> it it looked like 2002 terrible computer generated. It was so uncanny valley type stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, how do we how do we do so well for two hours and yeah. 29 minutes, and then we get to this post credit scene, and they just shat the bed. I don't. Maybe they filmed it late, and the turnaround was you know was tough. Maybe the fact that it's a fully CG creature and it's a it's a troll, so mm-hmm. it's kind of human, but kind of not. It's kind of something else, you know. I, I they they just obviously had trouble on that, and I'm just I'm just kind of upset that it looked as bad as it did. But you know, be that as it may, it was it was a you know mid credit scene, so not something to get necessarily hung up on. But definitely tons of potential for what the future may hold. Again, what the MCU, what they are masters at, what Marvel Studios are masters at, are you know setting these things up for the future. Um, and speaking of setting things up, we got another another post credit scene which came after the credits. And it brings us back to Dane Whitman, who we talked a little bit about earlier. And there's a lot to Dane Whitman in his character, which I'm sure you'll get to. And we, we see him with a very mystical and magical blade called the Ebony Blade that he is in possession of. And uh, it was actually alluded to earlier in the movie. We see Thena sort of fighting with the sword. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was Makari who asked her, is that the is that the Ebony Blade? And Thena was like, no, this is the Excalibur, which is another, another very powerful blade in Marvel Comics lore. Um, but this is the Ebony Blade that Dane Whitman is in possession of. We know that the, at the end of the movie, he actually is... About to tell Cersei some information because he's like, you know, no more secrets between us. And Cersei's like, okay. He's like, I actually should tell you that my family history is complicated, which is very mm-hmm. much tied to his comic book history um, and what the character Dane Women represents. And we see him open this box and he's looking at the ebony blade and he is 
trying to motivate himself. He's like, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. The Ebony Blade then projects these words that says, death is my reward. And Dane Whitman responds and says, I know, but I have to try. And then as he's about to reach for the blade, we hear the words come out of the side of the screen off camera. Are you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? From a voice that we, at the time, don't know who it is. Now, but we had an it idea. has since been revealed who that is. And we actually have a question specifically from somebody about about the specific post credit scene. So, at ASAP underscore Anthony writes, who do you think that voice was that called out to Kit Harrington's character at the end? I don't know if it's been confirmed yet. Initially, I thought it was Nick Fury, but apparently it's Mahershala Ali. You want to tell him, or should I? <laughs> what should we do here? Because uh, we we now know exactly who this is. I, I, I'll let you. I'll let you go forth and talk because I know you're probably going to talk a little bit about Dane Women, but you know there, there's obviously another big, big, huge reveal a part of this scene as well. Yeah, man. I don't even know where to start, dog. Um, so uh, Dane Whitman, of course, is I think in in family lineage. The fourth or fifth person to be given the title of the Black Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, and his family has been known to, uh, uh, again, I guess just, just fight. I don't know if villainy is the word. <laughs> but to, to, to fight and protect um, things, again, throughout time, right? But it, it, it dates so far back. That that's why he he told Cersei I, you need you need to know about my family not me <laughs> he was like you need to know about my family um and so this sword the uh, the ebony blade has been passed down from person to person um and in fact his uncle I think was mentioned in this movie was, was the yeah. was the previous Black Knight yeah. uh and also. There's also some people in the lineage who were black knights who weren't good. It was like his great grandpa or something was like a whole villain, mm-hmm. um, which is which is interesting too. But he is he's the modern day black knight, and he's continuing that legacy, whatever in medieval England. That's what he does. Uh, so here we go. That voice that you hear at the end of. This movie, the post credit scene, was indeed the one and only Blade, man. It was Mahershala Ali's voice, as confirmed by Chloe Zhao herself. And it is... That nigga's here. It's up. Blade, Blade <laughs> is in this thing. Yeah, it's up now. And I'm going to tell you what I think. There's a storyline, y'all, in the comics. I got to talk about it. This is a very important storyline because this... I think this is so close to what is happening right now in the MCU that it's closer than I think people understand. So there's a storyline where Blade and Dane Whitman specifically, Black Knight, are on a team called MI-13, right? MI-13 is a UK agency set up to deal with the paranormal. Um, And Dane finds out that the ebony blade that he's been wielding was not the real ebony blade. Instead, it's a fake ebony blade that was forged by Dracula. Who is Dracula's nemesis? That nigga's name is Blade, bro. And it turns out, this is the last punchline I got for you. 
that timeline that I just talked about where Dane Whitman finds out that he's been wielding the wrong blade this entire time as forged by Dracula, it turns out this timeline is set during the secret invasion. I cannot make this shit up. This is it's already happened. Oh wow. <laughs> this has already happened. And so I I bruh, this nigga Blade is here. That's all I have to say. Earlier in the movie, Kumail talks about how um his 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 valet almost killed him because he thought it was a vampire, almost staked him. <laughs> I mean they yeah. but they mentioned they mentioned vampire, right? They were like yep. vampire. I'm just saying, here we are. Blade is here, Mahershala Ali is here, Chloe Zhao has confirmed it. What you got to say about it? Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, this was the last thing I was expecting out of Eternals. <laughs> it was the, the, I mean, the bottom of the list. I mean, we knew Mahershala Ali was going to be this character. That was obviously confirmed at the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con, which was, ironically enough, the same event where we were officially unveiled the cast and the mm-hmm. announcement of the Eternals to the public. So there's a, a, a weird... A weird convergence of mm-hmm. all of these things happening, and it it, it does not seem coincidental. It you know <laughs> it's it's seeming more and more intentional, which we we know they're very much um they're very much the masters at over at Marvel Studios. But this is uh this is pretty significant. This is pretty significant, as you mentioned. Kumail mentioned that earlier in the movie. We also got mention of vampires and Loki earlier this year that we talked yep. about on our show. Um, they're they're going there. This is happening. This is a real thing. This is the first for lack of a better term appearance of blade in the mcu even though we don't see him on camera we do mm-hmm. hear that voice and as you mentioned chloe Zhao confirmed that specifically to eric goldman over at fandom um that that is the case and i am i'm pretty i'm pretty floored and astonished at what this could mean mm-hmm. and i'm extremely excited i mean <laughs> talk about drumming up excitement for that blade movie oh man i mean we were already looking forward to that of course yeah. like yeah but mm-hmm. now we have a potential seed as to what the story could possibly be about wow and i think we've speculated a lot about what the direction of phase four was going to be and i can't remember what it was what you know what show we were specifically talking about it might have been falcon of the winter soldier it might have been black widow i don't know but i I remember us having a conversation a while ago about the fact that we might not never get another traditional solo superhero mcu Mm -hmm. film ever again like That's just not the dynamic of this universe. There's too many characters. Mm-hmm. So by proxy, every movie's gonna be a team up movie to some extent. Yeah. You know, even in Black Widow, it's Black Widow and Yelena mm-hmm. and Red Guardian, you right. know, and and now we're getting Eternals, which is an ensemble movie. And we know what's happening with Spider Man and Doctor Strange has mm-hmm. like five or six heroes. This could be what Blade ends up being. This could be technically a Blade and Black Knight movie. Mm. It probably won't be called that. It'll it'll be called Blade, I'm sure. But it seems as if Black Knight is going to be a, a character in that film because I, I don't I don't envision them doing a Black Knight movie. Featuring but this could absolutely <laughs> this could absolutely be a thing where Black Knight is a major character in the Blade mm-hmm. film, and we can further explore that backstory and that history from the medieval times to now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much there, and it has to be said. We already pointed out earlier that Cersei becomes a future Avenger. Black Knight also becomes a future Avenger as well. You yeah. know, and so. They're setting up these things. They're putting them in motion. I mean, we've been wondering about who the next Avengers team might be. I'm not saying all these characters are going to be on the Avengers, but damn, you know, it's looking it's looking more and more likely. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was brilliant to do that, and it was even more brilliant to just keep him off screen so we don't see how he looks. Like, 
Yes. They, called Mar- they called Mahershal Ali in for like an hour and said, hey, can you do this quick like voiceover, bro? Like we're just trying to like just add a little kernel to the story that we're mm-hmm. planning here. Um, and and I, I suspect we'll probably get that movie in probably two, maybe three years time. But super exciting. I mean, bring it on. Blade. We got to we got to have it. I even loved how uh, uh, dark the Ebony Blade just was like the tone was instantly changed from Eternals to what the hell is this sword? <laughs> and when you think about it like that, and if you like were to watch it over, Blade makes so much sense there because that eeriness and that darkness is where he lives. Right. And and it's like, damn, that just makes sense. That it, it, it's all coming together. But you said it, bro. You know, I'm excited as shit. Blade's one of my favorites. I'm a huge, huge Blade fan, man. Um, and man, I, who would have thought Eternals? Not me. Who would have thought we'd be here? Not me. Like this is this, this is really insane. But I'm 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 glad uh, that they decided to do this. Like you said, they probably called him up and was like, "Bro, just like an hour, dog. We need That's you to record. It. We need you to record this probably like thirty times." <laughs> And we're Get gonna the pick, right tape. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna pick one of the thirty, but that's all we needed to do. And he was like, "All right, I got you." But this is dope, man. This is really dope to see. Super exciting! Cannot wait to see Phase Four. Is extremely huge. Um, as we wrap up here, as we start to close out this conversation, um, I guess we can just get into like our final thoughts about this movie. And you know, obviously, like where does it rank in the MCU for us, and just like overall th- thoughts about Phase Four. But uh, you know, ultimately, again, Eternals to just sort of revisit some of the things we talked about earlier. You know, certainly not the greatest thing that they've put out. Um, but I still think a, a good, enjoyable movie. And it seems like most audiences are enjoying it right now. I think it's sitting at eighty percent. Audience score on Rotten Tomato, which is extremely positive. Um, obviously, we talked about the box office. So people are enjoying this movie. And I think that that's really what counts at the end of the day. Like critics will say what they want to mm-hmm. say, but it's really the audience that dictates, you know, the future of these things and who, the, you know, who, who we want to see on screen and what characters we want to see come into this universe. Um, you know, overall, I'm just appreciative of the fact that we had this opportunity to have a director like Chloe Zhao to come in to, to leave her imprint into the MCU. Although yeah. it might not have been as prevalent as i would have wanted it might not have felt as much of a chloe Zhao film as i thought it was gonna be mm-hmm. i think that there's enough there to take away to say like yeah this is different this is this is unique enough from other things that we've gotten you have your usual mcu things that that they remind you that you're in this universe but you also have opportunities to step outside of that universe and to just live with these characters for you know however long we we got to um throughout this movie Obviously, there's problems that we've covered in detail here, but ultimately, I think it gave more to us than it took away, yeah. and that's that's an achievement in and of itself. We have new characters. We have new mythology. We have a new understanding of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been left with some difficult questions that we, we have to ponder over. Uh, humanity certainly has to ponder over this shit, like... What do those humans in, in London think about? See- like, they saw Arsham up in the sky, right? Like, I'm assuming... Bruh. They, they saw this nigga. Like, what do you do? Do you just go back to work? Like, <laughs> I'm on my lunch break. I just go back to the office after I saw that in the sky. Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm hoping that in the future of the MCU at some point, like, it's good that they continue to keep these human characters throughout the movie, like Karoon, like Dane Whitman thus mm-hmm. far. We need that human perspective because, bro, we just had the snapping. We just had the blip. Mm-hmm. And then, what, six months later, we got mm-hmm. a celestial that's like, turning our shit into an egg and it's about to destroy the earth <laughs> yeah this is some traumatic stuff like they they got to deal with this and um you know i think phase four you know thus far i think it's been it's been hit or miss you know we've we, we've been critical at certain times about certain things in the execution and I'm, I'm i'm starting to just wonder if i mean 
it, it's going in the direction I didn't expect it. I mean, phase four has been bonkers mm. overall. Like, we have to think, like, in low-key, we saw a lieth, a, 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 a smoke cloud. In, yeah, in Shang-Chi, we got the Dweller in Darkness, a fucking mm. dragon. Um, in, in, in what if we, 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 we suspect that that was Shumagorath who we mm-hmm. might see again in Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. And now we're getting Arsham and the Celestials. Like these are, <laughs> this is huge shit, bro. Yeah. Like think about where we started with Iron Man in 2008. It's about a man, you know, sort of coming to terms with his conscience, changing his perspective and fighting for the control of his company. Like that's what that movie's about. And fast yeah. forward 13 years later and we're <laughs> dealing with the Celestials. It's like. Phase four has been ridiculously crazy and bonkers mm-hmm. and just wild in ways that I just could not have expected. I just didn't think we were going to get here this fast. Um, I think it's been hit or miss, and I'm just wondering how flexible and how far the audience is going to continue to go with this stuff. And, and you know, if the box office and the audience scores are indication, it seems like they're willing to go pretty far. Um, it's a little bit hard to tell with COVID because things are just like so skewed now in terms of reception and feedback and how many people see these things. But it does appear that, you know, phase four is working for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, ultimately for me, this ranks, you know, I have it right now in my 18th spot in terms of like where it falls in the MCU out of the 26 Mm -hmm. films that they produce. So certainly not nowhere near the bottom. Um, I'll watch it before a lot of stuff, but it absolutely does not touch like the upper echelon for me, like the top 10, not even top 12, top 15. Like those are pretty solid at this point, but still a good movie. I think still enjoyable. I think most people walk away enjoying it. Man, you pretty much said it all. I don't have too much to add, man. I'm just happy that Eternals exists. Like, this thought, you said it was not possible at the beginning. The beginning, it was just Iron Man. And the fact that we're here and we're getting weird, again, as we've been said, we've seen crazy shit in Loki and Shang-Chi. Um, and one of my favorite things about Eternals is uh, how how Chloe Zhao had to make a difference because I think now we're getting to a point where a lot of the, the MCU-ness of, of, of their, their formula has to be broken apart in some ways. Right? Like you can't make a blade film like fucking Spider-Man, you know, it just, it it, it can't happen. And some of these properties are going to force them to, to think different and get different directors and maybe not lean into the MCU formula as much as they have in the past. Some of that stuff, can it literally if if you shoot blade like you shot i don't know loki it's just not going to be good it's right. just not going to be a good movie so you you know it's the, some things they have to figure out and i think i'm excited for that and i think eternals although again we got wandavision i think movie wise is the beginning of that eternals is like you know it's the it's the chicken it's the baby it's the baby chick you know and, it, and, and it's going to it has to grow up at some point and i think they're recognizing that too and even though it, again, Eternals doesn't lean all the way into what we hoped for in a Chloe Zhao film and what we hoped for from in a new phase for Marvel film. I think it's a, it, I really do still think it's a step in the right direction because the things that we did get that were different worked for me. Um, and that's OK, too. So, uh, man, again, far from perfect. It's a, but it's a beautiful mess. And that's OK, too. That's all right, too. Um, I don't still don't know what the what, what crack these critics was on. I mean, they <laughs> We're trashing it. I mean, they they salty about something. All the critics need to have like a group therapy session and talk and talk this out because it just. I mean, you watch it and you're like, "What were y'all talking about?" Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like I get some of the stuff, but ooh, they was going, they was kind of going in a little bit. But uh, I again, I'm just happy we're here. Eternals is here, and I can't wait to see uh, where we go next. You said ranking wise, man, 
it's really hard to say. I do know I like it better than Black Widow. I like it better than probably both uh, first two Thors. I like, you know what I mean? Like, I like it better than, uh, uh, I don't even know. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of movies I know I like it better than, and that's enough for me. This is, like you said, it's, no, it's not my top five. Some people are also wilding on the other side. I'm like, come on, y'all. Top five. <laughs> top five. I know this is all opinion, bro, but like top five, top five. Come on. Um, but it, it, it it's still enjoyable. And um, and, I, and I hope everyone gets a chance to see it. I think it is still very important viewing the world. You, you spoke on this, too. The world is being built so vast and so big that uh, you, you can't miss a beat. Right. Imagine watching the next movie. You don't know what a celestial is like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm afraid for other people <laughs> who may miss a movie like this because of what critics are, are saying about it. And then the next movie they watch, you know, like, damn, what's going on? No, this movie is important. Um, and, it, and it really does expand the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think, in a way that hasn't been expanded yet because um, like, we're past Thanos. And a lot of people never thought of that. Like, what is what is past Thanos? We're here. Um, and it's here and it's alive. Uh, but it just depends on what the follow-up is going to be. But yeah, I think I agree. Eternals probably, shoot, I, I haven't put it in an order like you did, but 18 spots sure sounds right to me. So let's just put it there. Um, but yeah, here we are. Eternals. I'm happy. Yeah, folks. Uh, if you haven't, go see this movie. Form your own opinion. Don't let a number dictate that opinion for you. And if you if you hate it, you hate it. If you love it, you love it. Wherever it falls for you, that is that is all valid. Uh, but definitely, just allow yourself to form your own opinion because, again, at the end of the day, these these sources that we have, they're just tools. They're not meant to dictate what we do and don't see. I don't think we should be allowing other people to dictate those things. But those are all of our thoughts, all of the details, all of the analysis, all of the breakdown about Marvel Studios Eternal. Of course, if you've seen this film, please hit us up and let us know what you think about it. We'd love to hear what you think. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this week's show. We are officially down and out for this week's episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to another podcast. Y'all been really rocking with us lately. We've been watching those numbers. The, the listens have been crazy. Thank you all again for tuning in each and every week. We will be back next week to talk about all the latest movies movies that have dropped there's a lot actually a lot of shit. stream has been is streaming has been popping we have to talk about the harder they fall the mm-hmm. new black western on netflix yes. we got to talk about spencer red yes. notice is coming out with the rock and ryan reynolds and gal gadot mm-hmm. there's just so many things that we got to cover so we will be back next week to talk about all those things and again appreciate y'all as always yes 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 y'all i mean Y'all have like really been rocking with us, man. Is the listens are going crazy, just and I just want to say thank you for sure. Um, keep keep telling friends about us, keep telling family members about us. We appreciate it. Uh, we, we 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 appreciate it all the likes, the retweets, anything that we get on social media. Um, and please just join the Discord, man. It's it's a fun Discord. We we was in it the other day playing some games and stuff. It just you just never know what's gonna happen in the Discord. It can be a really fun place to get. Um, but yeah, man, again, thank y'all for rocking with us. With that being said, y'all, we are Audi 5000. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds. Where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. Brr.